Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And this was in the form of practice questions and answers. This was your deposition. And you testified that in this particular practice Q&A with the Obama State Department, it wasn't just generally about Burisma and corruption. It was specifically about Hunter Biden and Burisma. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And the exact quote from your testimony, Ambassador, is, quote, the way the question was phrased in this model Q&A was, what can you tell us about Hunter Biden's, you know, being named to the board of Burisma? So for the millions of Americans watching, President Obama's own State Department was so concerned about potential conflicts of interest from Hunter Biden's role at Burisma that they raised it themselves while prepping this wonderful ambassador nominee before her confirmation. And yet our Democratic colleagues and the chairman of this committee cry foul when we dare ask that same question that the Obama State Department was so concerned about. But we will continue asking it. And lastly, in my 20 seconds left, I just want to get it on record. In terms of defensive lethal aid, which you were an advocate for, that was not provided by President Obama. It was provided by President Trump. That's correct. I yield back five seconds. Times are recognized. Ambassador, thank you for your testimony today. And you also testified that the Ukrainians thought it would be a good idea to set up this architecture of a special investigative office that would be all about the crimes of corruption, correct? Yes. And I know this was before you arrived in Ukraine, but you are aware that the first case that the U.S., U.K., and Ukraine investigators worked on was, in fact, against the owner of Burisma. Yes. And that was during the Obama administration. Yes. And in your testimony, you and you said today, the investigation was never formally closed because, quote, it's frankly useful to keep that company hanging on a hook, right? Yeah, the Ukrainian investigation was never partnered with the U.S. and the U.S. I understand it. Yeah, although because we didn't see the Ukrainians moving forward on that, we no longer partner with them uh, on that case or in that way. But let's take a first step, a step back. The first time you personally became aware of Burisma was actually when you were being prepared by the Obama State Department for your Senate confirmation hearings. And this was in the form of practice questions and answers. This was your deposition. And you testified that in this particular practice Q&A with the Obama State Department, it wasn't just generally about Burisma and corruption. It was specifically about Hunter Biden and Burisma. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And the exact quote from your testimony, Ambassador, is, quote, the way the question was phrased in this model Q&A was, what can you tell us about Hunter Biden's, you know, being named to the board of Burisma? So for the millions of Americans watching, President Obama's own State Department was so concerned about potential conflicts of interest from Hunter Biden's role at Burisma that they raised it themselves while prepping this wonderful ambassador nominee before her confirmation. 
And yet our Democratic colleagues and the chairman of this committee cry foul when we dare ask that same question that the Obama State Department was so concerned about. But we will continue asking it. And lastly, in my 20 seconds left, I just want to get it on record. In terms of defensive lethal aid, which you were an advocate for, that was not provided by President Obama. It was provided by President Trump. That's correct. And welcome back to Flyover Politics Podcast. And it's the 23rd of November, year of our Lord, 2019. And as promised, we introed with the GOP female. Her name is Elise Stefanik. And it's going to kind of start off our show in a really good way because it's the hypocrisy that we talk about every podcast. Um, it could be mistaken for you're a GOP or you're a Trump supporter. No, I'm more of a just a, hey, if we're going to play the game this way, we're going to play the game for everybody, and we really don't. We we play it all sorts of loosey-goosey when it's liberals and the media doesn't get outraged and everything. <clears throat> but when it's conservative, we can say what we want, act like we want, and do what we want. And that kind of leads into every other segment. Biden and his son, the geo, or the D- Democratic debate, the impeachment, and into our ever-present new social media nuggets, <clears throat> where people keep making up the rules regardless of what the majority of Americans want. And being that this is flyover politic podcast, we are the majority, whether they believe it or not. We are the majority in the center of the country. I mean, one of the things you can cut take from 2016, the land mass of this country picked Donald Trump. The cities didn't. And it's ever-present that the cities keep on telling us how to live. We ain't going to put up with that. Get a shotgun. I sounded all country on that. But long story short, she decided to do what any other Democrat would do and what Democrats do all the time and say way worse things. We play on the show from uh, freaking that piece of shit, Maxine Waters, to what Pelosi says. They they all could get rude and hard questioning and be partisan pieces of shit. You have no problem with that. But when a GOP representative does it, we go buck crazy. So let's get straight into it. No bumpers. ABC Matthew Dowd tweets, then deletes, sexist attack on GOP Elise Stefanik. This is, Elise Stefanik is a perfect example of why just electing someone because they are a woman or a millennial doesn't necessarily get you the leader we need. That That's what he tweeted. This is supposed to be a, a, a moderate spokesman. Her response back, thanks, Mark Meadows. It's a good thing I wasn't raised to measure my self-worth or professional work based on tweets from self-important MSNBC commentators like Dowd. Who is he again? I earned support from New York 21 voters because of my focus on keeping my promises and delivering. And, of course, that's just a double jab because he's from ABC. Hey, Elise Stefanik, I just want to apologize for a tweet that is being misinterpreted. I didn't mean to suggest you were elected only because you're a woman or a millennial. I deleted the tweet. I deleted the tweet and apologize. I in no way meant to suggest that we don't need women or millennial leaders. In fact, the opposite is true, and I have advocated for that. I'll be more careful in how I phrase my thoughts. Lessons learned. No, it wasn't. It's not learned. You'll continue. CBS News set it out. 
And these are all journalists or liberals? Manju Raju, certainly the potential, yes. Vindman says the Stefani, who asked if Hunter Biden on Burmese board had the potential of an appearance of conflict of interest. But as we saw last week, blue check libs were not happy with what she had to say. Ellen producer, Andy Lasser, just found out her full name is Elise Nunez Jordan Stefanik. Well, what does that got to do with anything? Charlotte Clymer. Representative Stefan just tried to frame Vindman as an arrogant or simply stating he's, he is qualified as an expert on Ukraine to serve in his current role, which requires said expertise. Impeaching, impeachment hears, hearing. Greg Dorquin. Apparently, Stefanik was successfully able to establish that Trump outranks Vindman. Charles Pierce. Sawwell with the put away. Say goodnight, Miss Stefanik. Fiddler. More like lies St- Stefanik, am I right, and showed a picture of Spock. The, the, the burns didn't even make sense. Tara Dublin, you can wear a top from Forever 21 like that to go out drinking with your girlfriends, trashy Stefanik, but not to be an official, but not to be an official, and then she did a bunch of shit. Grant Stern, Stefan just peddled the theory Trump's bribery and extortion plot didn't work out after months of trying, so it's all good. If this was a drinking game, every lie she said, you'd have to drink now. Instead, buy a shot for her opponent. That was a big thing that came down. Lita Dramasius. Stefanik is a poster child for the 53% of white women who voted for this mess. Michael Singori, a radio host. Stefanik is now speaking only in turn. Still, let's boot her and elect Tedra Cobb, Susan Hennessy from CNN. Stefanik is trying to suggest that conditioning the aid on on corruption certificate is proper since it required by law. The problem is the DOD made the certification, and then when Trump froze the aid, DOD reaffirmed the certification. Sophia Nelson, a writer. Stefanik is being dishonest here. Her constituents in New York 21 do not have serious concerns about Hunter Biden. She does. Alvin Alberca Blanco, another hip-hop wired writer. Who of Mrs. Stefanik's constituents have inquired about Hunter Biden? Andrea Eldrod from MSNBC. Eliza Stefanik pandered to her Fox audience. Sophia Stefanik, another writer. GOP impeachment antics backfire. Maybe Stefanik just wants to lose. Neil uh, another writer, Neil Plus. I couldn't figure out who Stefanik reminded me of, but I'm pretty sure she's the lady that wouldn't give out licenses. Joyce Allen, a journalist. If there are legitimate concerns about Hunter Biden, we have U.S. law enforcement agencies like the FBI that can investigate. Shut up. Zach Hunt, I don't understand how Stefanik is able to ask questions during the impeachment today. I thought she had been silenced by Adam Schiff. Tiffany Cross, every time Stefanik speaks, everyone should head over to Ted, Tedra Cobb for Congress. Meredith Gould, oh, Elisa Stefanik, you're making some very self-destructive choices. And Kendra James, another writer, I hate the Stefanik woman so much. Aaron Blank, I wonder if they will mention anywhere that Nunes Stefanik were trying to do was obviously against the rules. John Noonan, I am not an unfair point, Aaron Blank. The chairman is empowered to shut her up. Yeah. Bentley Gregg, I thought Libs didn't care about the rules when it comes to silencing women. Because they made a big thing about Elizabeth Warren being silenced. It's almost Christmas tweeted all this stuff. And so did Stephen Miller. These are the articles. Nevertheless, she persisted. Become, becomes new battle cry after McConnell silences Elizabeth Warren.
gagging the gentlewoman because he made her stop talking. They were all with that. She was warned. She was given explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. Elizabeth Warren silenced in the Senate. Remember this? We, we just went through this. Brian Seltzer even did it. But then, just doing that wasn't enough. They started this. This is trashy Congresswoman Stefania at the conclusion of yesterday's hearing as Ambassador Yokovich was given a standing ovation. She, they show her flipping off a camera. It was started by Brian J. O'Malley. It's photoshopped, but the left carried it like it was real. He ended up apologizing and removing it. During the hearing, just because she spoke up, Kyle Griffith, George Conway says that he has donated to one of Eliza Stefanik's Democratic opponents. She made $2,800 in donations as of this screen print. But she got more afterwards. CNN contributor Amanda Carpenter couldn't get over it, so she kept talking about it. Why is a fake photo of Stefanik damaging? Because it's sort of believable in the light of her somehow somewhat obnoxious performance yesterday that drew massive backlash and generated fundraising for her opponent. I mean, I did a double take. It must be labeled as Photoshop or taken down. That's a CNN contributor. That, well, it's believable. Stefanik has really trashed her reputation in these hearings and in ways that haven't actually advanced the Republican cause at all. It's a very bizarre move. Why not let Nunes and Jordan, who have little to lose by way of reputation, do the dirty work instead? Stefanik finally gets her turn. With it, she does moderately better than Castor and produces some clips for Fox News. Still substantially outmatched on substance and efficiency by the Dems, but I'll give her that. It's more effective than Jim Jordan's histrionics. This is supposed to be an objective... News person. A news person. This is not supposed to be a partisan. I know that's hard. Because they are partisans. Dana Loesch sums it up. Imagine putting this much time into bad Photoshop, only to have missed that she's on camera not wearing nail polish. Why does this mean that memes are okay again now? Yeah, I thought we weren't supposed to be doing memes. The Democrats just did a bill, the Case Act, to stop memes. Because they're mean. But then they carry a Photoshop of a person who said the things they didn't want to hear against a woman, by the way. And then a CNN contributor who literally says, oh, it's okay. It may be fake, but it's true. Nikki Haley, liberals are pro-women until we say or think something they don't like, then the name-calling begins. Stefanik, keep up the great fight. We have your back. And that is why I wanted to cover it. It's kind of wordy. It doesn't seem that damaging. But it's the appearance. Once again, we are told appearances mean everything. We are constantly scolded by our betters that we need to be this way and we need to be that way. And... You can't say that about a woman if that woman has a D behind her name. And what she was bringing up is important. That's why the left doesn't want it out. Which we segue into our Biden segment. 
Hunter Biden claimed he did not impregnate a woman. Test results say he did. Maggie McNeary, the woman that broke it and put the story out, gets a uh, tweet from Julia Ioff. Julia Ioff deleted a couple tweets after being correctly corrected. Turns out the paper had used that symbol before. I had jumped out to me, a Russian speaker and keyboard user, as a quotation mark and looked other sloppy attempts by a Russian troll to push a story. That was their defense for the breaking story that Hunter Biden impregnated somebody in Arkansas. The reporter, Maggie Maneri, yeah, I'm not a troll, a Russian troll. I just work at a paper in little old Arkansas. Sorry to disappoint, but that was their technique. She's a troll. Her tweets, note the Russian quotation mark, AR Democrat Gazette. That was how they're going to play it off. Jill Sick taught me how to make that symbol, and it's stuck. If you like these tweets or our breaking news coverage, please consider supporting our journalism, Arkansas Online, or give Arkansas Online a follow. Local needs, nudes needs you. Hi, Twitter. Y'all going to verify my staff now? And she did the right thing. She used it to push her local paper. Good for her. But it became national Because all our journalists, objective news journalists, the people that we're being told constantly, we're pieces of shit because we don't listen to. We're being Russians because we don't believe everything coming out of their mouth. They didn't want us to believe that story. Biden's awesome. Because they know Biden's their only hope in that mess they have for a fucking candidacy. It's the only hope they have. And then more news stories break. Ukraine widens criminal investigation in a Biden-connected Burmese report says. So when that breaks out and people start tracking it, Twitter suspends account after tweets about Hunter Biden's activities. A Twitter account that has been previously retweeted by President Trump was censored by the platform. Breaking News Live News has tweeted a story about Hunter Biden, former Vice President Joe Biden's son, on November 20th. Two hours later, the entire account was suspended, according to a story from the Washington Post from August. The blog, Breaking News Live, also had its main account suspended at an unknown point in 2019. The final tweets from BNL News were saved as TweetSave.com, a site that works similarly to Wayback Machine. A November 20th tweet, as captured by TweetSave, says, Breaking News, head of the Ukrainian Burmese gas company indicted Hunter Biden name accepting millions more from slush fund. This claim from Ukrainian MP was reported on from the Ukrainian news source Interfax Ukraine. The agency reported parliamentary anti-derelicts allegation that according to Zavakovich's suspicion notice, Biden and partners received their $16.5 million for their services to Burmese. Biden received funds not due to the successful activity of Burmese or for brilliant business decisions or recommendations. Fiddler Forest, they just suspended the account. Then everybody else starts breaking the story. Because their angle is, it's fake news. Anything against Democrats is fake news. You can write whatever you want about Trump. They don't fucking care. They don't suspend the account. But you write it about Biden and his son, you get suspended. 
Benny, what it's like running for president as a Democrat. Your cokehead kid can cheat on your other son's widow, have a baby out of wedlock, lie about the whole thing, all while making corrupt millions. When a porter dare ask you, you get to shame them. Here's the soundbite. This meeting, this meeting with my neighbors. I'm wondering if you have a comment on this report and court filing out of Arkansas that your son Hunter just made you a grandfather. No, that's a private matter. I have no comment. But only you would ask that. You're a good man. You're a good man. Thank you guys. This is all the time we have. Mr. It's what they're going to do. Everything that's against a dam is fake news or Russian trolls. Everything against a Republican must be believed. And when you don't believe it, you're a Russian troll. You're an ist, an obe, and a million other things. Want proof? We segue into our next story. AFP News Agency, breaking more than 100,000 children in migration-related U.S. detention, U.N. report says. Also breaking, that's from 2015 report by the U.N. that just got released. You know what happened next. APF News Agency, AFP is withdrawing this story. The author of the report has clarified that this figure do not represent the number of children currently in migration-related U.S. detentions, but the total number of children in migration-related U.S. detentions in 2015. We will delete the story. HuffPo, Jennifer Bendry. I deleted a tweet from yesterday that linked out to a Reuters story, because they carried it too, citing a U.N. report saying the U.S. is more than 100K kids in immigration-related custody. Reuters has withdrawn that story and said those numbers were from 2015. Somebody asked, you deleted a story because it made Obama look bad? Why not leave it and correct it to reflect your beloved hero Obama was POTUS then, so it's still a story worth reporting. One of the thousands of unflattering stories you and your ilk obviously buried back then. DNC War Room tweeted and then withdrew. This is disgusting result of Trump's family separation policy, pushed by Stephen Miller has been cited white nationalist propaganda and promoting his views. It's also apparently a violation of the UN Treaty, the Convention on the Rights of the Children. 18 November 2019 tweeted. 18 November 2019 deleted. That's what they do. I have proof later later on. You literally have the AP or not CBS reporting on a Democrat, but they never say Democrat. Let's just play it right now. Here it is. Here, here's the soundbite. Tonight, Baltimore's former mayor, elected to heal a city scarred by riots, is charged with eleven counts of fraud, tax evasion, and conspiracy, and it all stems from a series of children's books that she wrote jeff pegues on this latest plot twist investigators say Catherine Pugh was paid nearly eight hundred thousand dollars for copies of her self-published healthy holly children's books even though there were multiple errors in the books earlier this year the irs and fbi raided her homes and city hall offices she became the second baltimore city mayor to step down in 10 years under the cloud of a criminal investigation Pugh is accused of illegally funneling some of the money from the books to her mayoral campaign, using it to purchase and renovate a house and evading taxes. Once again, we talk about bias. 
there's overt bias, Russiagate, Trump's election. I mean, you're seeing it every day if you turn on your TV. Every story about Trump is true, must be believed. Even when it's proven false, well, it's his fault, he has bad credibility, blah, 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 blah. When a Republican leaves the Republican Party, it is news. Later on in the show, I have an example of a, a Democrat leaving, but guess what? They don't even talk about it. doesn't make anybody's news source. CNN does not have an article. And a Republican is caught in a scandal, whether it be sex, yada, yada, you get Republican Senator so-and-so did this. We proved during Ralph Northam, you rarely heard Democrat. They didn't say the word Democrat. They just said Ralph Northam. Listen to what they say, my friends. It's not a conspiracy. It is the subtle bias that the media has always done. We talked about it when we were back in the beginning of this show and lay out whole things of how they cover the... The conventions, the pictures they use, when the parties play their glowing videos of their candidate, it is like, boom, look at this, look how awesome they are, yada, 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 yada. Then they freaking don't play any for the Republican. You didn't see any of that stuff unless you turn into direct TV live coverage that was unedited, unannounced. There was no commentators. They just kept a camera on the floor. And you could see everything, but you couldn't see it on live TV. They always say Republican numerous times in the report when it's a Republican fucking up. When it's a Democrat, just like Mr. Chocolate City down in New Orleans, and he ended up going to the Who's Cow, you never heard it. And this lady is linked to all sorts of fucked up shit, yet you never heard it. It wasn't Democrat. It was former mayor. That's their bias. So, of course, putting out a story about immigration for 2015 and removing it off the web the same day, that's what they do. They are nothing but partisans. We don't have news anymore. And that's the same for Fox. Fox is all conservative. We haven't had open, honest journalism in our country since Bush. The moment he lied, people... No, really. The moment he got handed the election by the Supreme Court, as they would say, our journalism went out the door. You had this subtle stuff only. Now it's just overt shilling for one party and one party only. When we get to the debates today, you literally hear NBC promos promoting their ideals. What matters? We keep covering that series because it keeps coming up that the only thing matters is what Democrats want. There is no Republican what matters. You've never seen a show or a segment on NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, MSDNC, PBS about how important the border wall is. You just see, oh, this wall is a waste of money, these poor people, and pictures of kids in cages from 2015. And then taken off the net. Which takes us into impeachment. I'm going to play two back-to-back because they're the same thing in my book. Here's Michael Moore literally brought on to speak. All right? And then Chuck Todd again. Chuck Todd is just, he is apoplectic. Just apoplectic about how this is going 
It is not going the way he wants it. And he is a not a happy camper because he wants Trump gone. And remember, he's the chief political guy for NBC. Just in the same way, I think that we have to, when you guys were talking about how we have to be more moderate or move to the center, that's how we're going to win next year. See, to me, I think moving to the center, I am the center. I, I am the mainstream now of the Democratic Party. The majority of Americans agree with me and Bernie on all the issues, whether it's whether it's uh, health care for all, whether it's climate change, um, minimum wage, mass incarceration. But down the whole list, the, the, the American people have moved left. So the center is, is now more of these sorts of things. This is what we believe. So when you say that, like, for instance, with um, uh, Joe Biden said tonight, 160 million Americans want to keep their, their private insurance. Says who? Are you actually talking to people about this? They, yes, they want the assurance that whatever we have with the new Medicare for all is essentially just a transfer from what they have with their good union health care. It's going to be that, but it's going to be better for you. You're not going to have co-pays and deductibles. Fine. But what the average Democrat and the average American does not like the health insurance company. They hate Aetna. And Cigna and United Healthcare. These are people that they are fighting with to get them to pay a bill that they won't pay. The, the healthcare industry has caused more pain and harm and anxiety for the American people than practically any other industry. And and we should never side with candidates that are going to say we're going to we're going to keep this private profit making thing going. That's not where the American people are at. They are fed up with this. And I'll tell you. I got an earful of it back home in Flint last month when General Motors was on strike. Yep. What did the CEO of GM do on the third day of the strike? She took away their health care. She shut it down. They couldn't believe it. Nobody, my, I come from a GM family. We, we I mean, GM, your health care, UAW employee, sure. it's everything. Medical, dental, eye care. You even get a free lawyer if you need one. <laughs> it's like, it's the best. And... On the third day, they saw the thing that they thought they'd have forever could be taken away by the company like that. And that's what people need to know, that we can never allow our health insurance to be in the hands of a private profit-making company where they can end you tomorrow. Anybody watching the show right now, your boss could wake up in the morning and go, you know what, Steve, the, it just cost us too much money. In here to have this to have this uh, health insurance for the employees, we got to cut it back. We got to raise the deductible. They can do this just like that. That should be illegal. It's a human right, and we need to be like every other industrialized country that has this. I, I'm having a quick flashback to the OJ trial, frankly, where the facts were damning, but it didn't matter, and yet he was innocent. But I'd also, but everybody knew he was guilty. It was a so are we about to head into a situation like that where he's going to get acquitted and yet everybody's going to know he's guilty? How should viewers not look at what you're doing here and you're just reacting as a partisan that if Trump were a Democrat, you'd be ready to convict him? Ron Johnson is sending out a letter yesterday beginning to attack the credibility of Colonel Vindman in mm-hmm. preparation for today's testimony. Which, what by the way, what him? a sleazy move that gross. Is. Yeah, it's really gross. That's his hunch. Okay. Based That's his on hunch. no evidence. Based no. on no evidence. In yeah. the letter, which is a long letter that he sends over to Republicans in the House, he doesn't provide any evidence of them trying to sabotage anything mm-hmm. or the, any concrete evidence that they are, quote, never Trumpers. Wow. That is just so offensive. I mean, so offensive. 
this Republican senator from Wisconsin is smearing a lieutenant colonel. Look, I think this underscores the challenge Democrats have after today. And it's this. It's clear all of this testimony has built this very damning case. At the same time, there's more breadcrumb, breadcrumb trails to follow. And there's more investigating to do. And I'll just say this. I think Democrats got to be careful here. If they short-circuit this, Right. You know, they look, if this were a courtroom trial, they, they have the evidence. They're done. They could rest their case, go to jury. Fine. They've got to win a political argument. They can win the technical, but they got to win the political argument. And while plenty of people may be skeptical that more witnesses, even if they're named John Bolton, isn't going to penetrate anything. OK, but do you need to get caught trying? Do they need to keep going down this road? But I'll tell you this. If today is the last day of televised hearings, I don't think they have their closer yet. Now, I play that together because I think it's a good juxtaposition of what I always say on this show. Obama and Trump are the same people. The media will make you think it's not. Democrats just lost their fucking mind. But you had a blowhard, more who is Trump. And then you had this super, I want to be educated, I'm a professor, I talk off my nose to everybody because I hate whitey President Obama who spoke, spoke in the King's English 85 words to say, fuck you. And that's Todd. He speaks great words, but what he's really saying is, impeach that motherfucker. He is Rashida Tlaib. I mean, they're so hypocritical. The leftists, here's Earl Blombauer. Gordon Sunland, welcome to the resistance. Bloombauer called for boycott of Sunland's hotels back in early October, and protesters are reportedly been picketing outside the blocking the entrances. Representative Bloombauer of Oregon is calling for a boycott, blah, 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 blah. But when Sunland says what he wants, he literally, oh, welcome to the resistance. Here's a, a, a GOP senator who literally dinged him on it. Our own colleague... Uh, Congressman Earl Blumenauer from Oregon has, in fact, called for a boycott of your hotel chain or your hotels in um, in Oregon. I'm assuming he believes that that will harm you to the point that you will then be bullied into doing whatever he wants done. Now, I, my colleagues and I know that using the word bully and Earl Blumenauer are the same sentences a bit over the top. But nevertheless, he intended to harm you uh, and your businesses. That would you uh, surmise? That's my understanding. And that the boycotts, uh, his call for boycott gave rise to demonstrations in front of your hotels that made your customers have to weave in and out of the uh, demonstrators to try to actually get into the hotels? As I understand, they're going on as we speak. Well, um, the, the words are better put by a couple of other Oregonians. Says, Congressman Blumenauer's irresponsible attempt to hurt a homegrown business that supports hundreds of jobs in our local economy is just shameful and ought to be an outrage to all Oregonians. Some uh, fellow named McDermott. And then a lady named Ellen Carmichael, who I believe works for you, said, We are saddened to have our Congressman Earl Bloom and our call for a boycott that would put the livelihoods of thousands of his constituents in peril. The attack on our employees is unwarranted. And I couldn't agree more, Mr. Uh, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, Mr. Blumenauer should not be using the vast influences that we as members of Congress has to bully you and your businesses and to harm the hundreds or thousands of employees that they're 
that, uh, that operate in your business by trying to take business away from you to force you into doing something uh, that, uh, that uh, they wanted you to do, which is actually testify, and you've actually done that. But that's a shame for that. And I'm hopeful that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle will join me in saying, Mr. Blumenauer, you really shouldn't be using your congressional influence to try to bully and threaten a, a witness before these proceedings. That is just wrong. And I'm looking forward to my colleague's response, and I yield. Anybody. Anybody is good as long as they say something against Trump. That's the way they run this. And it's just, it's almost comedic. But our media is apoplectic. They would start each segment saying that that's it, it's a nail in the coffin, then step back because they're in their fervor, they're excited, they want Trump gone. And then they come back and go, oh my God, oh my God, it isn't going to work, is it? And you'll hear all this in the soundbite as we go into a music break. We're doing Cool Yule today. We're going to do the original, all right, the original version, which I, the horns, the horns on this arrangement are just amazing. And then you hear Kurt Ellington's version later on. But during this, you're going to hear people say horrible shit. You're going to hear people, Sunland got him, yay, we got him, and then the stages agree that we don't got him, and then what's wrong with fucking America? And on the other side, when we come in on the other side, we'll start the owns of how, actually, it's not working. It never was going to work, but the media and the Democrats, they're so desperate to get rid of this guy. They're so desperate that USA Today likens Trump's impeachment tweet to an NFL player hitting a rival on the head with a helmet. That, that was an article. They literally wrote that. And by the way, the guy who did it was Miles Garrett. Once he got caught and he knew he was fucked, he then tried to play the race card and say somebody said something about him. But everybody was already interviewed. There was nothing there. So he's a Democrat, too. When, when we do something wrong, it's the other people's fault. Yeah. Even if the guy did call you a racial slur, hitting him in the head with a helmet, really? But it's a great analogy. It's what progressives are right now. I'm sick of the fascism. I'm sick of the violence as they're being fascist and being violent. So here's a lengthy soundbite of the media cheering, saying horrible shit, coming to grips that this isn't going to work. And like I said, on the other side, we start facts. Impeachment immediately taking center stage at the fifth Democratic debate. The impeachment showdown took center stage at last night's Democratic debate. And the impeachment inquiry took center stage during a sometimes contentious presidential debate. In fact, the person attacked the most wasn't even on stage, Donald Trump. First of all, we have a criminal living in the White House. The top Democratic candidates coming together in Atlanta, agreeing on key issues and saving their fire for the president instead of each other. We have a criminal living in the White House. We have a criminal living in the White House. The candidates were all in agreement over the House impeachment inquiry. How strong they are. I mean, to that point, Ari, how do you... Um, how do you cross-examine them, if you will? I mean, what are the Republicans going to do with these two? Who, who I, I agree, they're, they're, I, I was listening um, to to Holmes' opening statement on my, on my way in here, and I thought he's he's straight out of what Aaron Sorkin would write in a screenplay mm. about the good guys trying to rescue America from Russian influence. Uh, you you want these people on that wall, Mrs. Sorkin. That's a Sorkinism. Right. And I think they're strong, and their argument is they're defending America. 
under parties of both administrations. Um, the only thing you can do nature that Republicans and the president have questioned both the character and judgment uh, of some of the witnesses who are career public servants. Mm -hmm. is, is that strategy working? Does it appear? Well, I'm not sure that's the question. Is it, pro is it proper? Are we comfortable with this as a country? Politics is a tough business, but typically not for people who work in foreign service or work in the National Security Council. And as they've said, all these witnesses work for Republicans and Democrats, but some get a harsher treatment. They get hassled on Twitter. Maybe it's intimidation, maybe it's bullying, but it's clearly hassling. And their judgment is questioned. Their resumes are questioned, undermined. Subtle suggestions they might not have full loyalty to the United States. Only if you do one thing, testify unsympathetically to President Trump. But if you do testify sympathetically, that self-same resume, all those same hardship positions, that's lionized, held up for celebration by Republicans. Are we really comfortable with a loyalty test for long-serving public servants in government? I think that's a question the country has to answer. You know, Michelle, I see you're tearing up right now. And <laughs> what I find moving about that is that it's refocusing on, and, and to Walter's point, how existential the stakes are here. Mm -hmm. We either have a country in which if the president wants you to do something that's corrupt, you do it, and that's the way it works. And the nation itself and its functionings of the state revolve around a kind of cult of personality of the winds of the strong man at top. There are many countries that function like that currently in the world. So I think I was on your show the day after the election, and I was profoundly alarmed and depressed. And I think even then... I didn't think that within three years the United States would fall so far towards being a sort of um, authoritarian state, you know, like Turkey, like Russia, where the leader does what he wants, you know, the party closes ranks around him and his word is law and, you know, everybody else basically submits and risks their safety if they defy him. You know, these people who are completely... Um, suffused with these extremely earnest patriotic yes. values, you know, the sort of values that the Republican Party used to valorize. And, you know, they're basically coming before us all as a test. But I think we're seeing a slow motion constitutional crisis when 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 you could have a mob behind the president when he's calling out the whistleblower and you see the anger in the faces behind him, uh, intimidating witnesses. I think for particularly for voters of color, there is no conversation of interest to talk about uniting, to be blunt, with the party that has given up not just its moral standing, but its soul to, that, to, to, to the person who is president of the United States right now. The danger of Donald Trump is much more extant to my community. Mm -hmm. It's much more mm -hmm. extant to both my immigrant relatives, to African Americans, to Latinos. It's not about whether or not we can regain our public standing on the world stage and be seen as America as America was to people who look like me. It's about imminent danger. Donald Trump is dangerous to our families. He's dangerous to our lives. The, the, you know, my, my, my son, my, our youngest son goes to uh, Syracuse University where right now the, you know, manif the manifesto of the Texas shooters being sent around to immigrant students, to black students, to Asian American students. People are afraid to be in school right now. And just being black or brown feels dangerous. LGBT community feel their marriages are in danger, in danger now. And so the idea of uniting and coming together, that sounds fine for Pete Buttigieg to say, you know, to middle class white America that wants to come together with their uncle who's a Trumper. That is not going to work 
in communities of color. And I think one of the fundamental challenges that Pete Buttigieg has is that he's not communicating to my community right now. He's not communicating to my community at all on issues like policing. People want to know why he fired that police chief. Getting, you know, saying that he's got a great, you know, long-term plan for black America, that's lovely. He speaks very well. He's quite articulate. That is not helping people who are afraid. Back to those people again. As as David Ignatius suggested earlier in the program, as as Sondland now decides, as you put it, not going to go quietly into the good night, not going to be a patsy, not going to be the fall guy, he's going to take everyone down with him, and is putting the, the, the harsh spotlight on Rudy Giuliani, on Mike Pompeo, on Donald Trump, now, as this, as this investigation now moves into its next phase, the focus becomes what, what will get John Bolton on to Capitol Hill to testify, because John Bolton is someone who has a lot of direct knowledge. What, what are the calculations that Mike Pompeo and Rudy Giuliani make about their own futures, their political futures, their legal liability? These are now or at the very senior levels of the, of, the, of the Trump administration and the United States government, and they are now... They've been kind of hovering in the background for the entire month and a half the scandal has been in play. They are now front and center on the stage, and we are right. going to see some incredible things happen, I think, over the next and few Claire, weeks. Yeah, and, and Claire, today we are going to see, the Trumpists are going to see Donald Trump turn on yet another one yep. of his own. Uh, Peter Baker's uh, headline talking about the can- well, cannibalization of yeah. the White House. Cannibalization. It now extends. They are now going to try to destroy the reputation of Trumpist Sondland, Ambassador Sondland, who gave him a million dollars. And you do wonder, after today, is Rudy Giuliani... Well, Gordon Sondland, clearly the man of the hour there, as we are halfway through the questioning, at least the 45-minute sessions. Uh, but he dropped a, a, a lot of uh, bombshells. Among the things you'll hear quoted, uh, uh, he worked with Giuliani at the express direction of the president. He followed the president's orders. Uh, there was a quid, quid pro quo for the White House meeting. I followed the direction of the president. Any number of quotes, uh, Savannah, in which he has clearly, you know, had direct communications with the president and is now implicating the president directly. And there we have had uh, the stunning testimony of the hand-picked ambassador to the European Union, a lifelong Republican who has donated um, over a million dollars not only to Trump's inaugural committee, but also to numerous Republican candidates for years, essentially directly implicating the president of the United States. There you have it, the most consequential testimony yet in this impeachment investigation, just about two hours into this testimony by, from Ambassador Gordon Sunland, And you can count the headlines. It started with Ambassador Sunland saying he was following the direction of the president. He was following orders of the president when he and Ambassador Perry and Ambassador Volcker were told to talk to Rudy Giuliani after a May 23rd meeting. He then proceeded to go on and draw everyone into his web, saying everyone was in the loop and implicating not only the president at his direction, not only Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, but also the secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, the vice president, Mike Pence, the national security advisor, John Bolton, and others. As the impeachment battle rages in the House, President Trump had key Republican senators over for lunch. This is we get new details tonight about what a Senate trial of the president might look like. Ben Tracy is at the White House. After the lunch, Romney said their contentious relationship did not come up. Democrats in the Senate cried foul. Connecticut's Richard Blumenthal said Republicans will be jurors and should not be discussing impeachment with the president at all. His agenda is pretty clear. He's trying to tank the jury pool 
and they should be above it. This as it appears House Democrats are moving closer to impeaching Mr. Trump. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today. And the evidence is clear that the president, the president has used his office for his own personal gain and in doing so undermined the national security of the United States. He has violated his oath of office. Now, a trial in the Senate could start in early January, possibly lasting several weeks. That means it could run right up against the early caucuses and primaries. And, Nora, that could cause a big problem for the president's Democratic rivals, who are also senators, who would be stuck here in D.C. I think I'm having some sort of impeachment effect. Uh, it just I'm like, where's Devin Nunes? Where's Jim Jordan? Where's the excitement? Where's the energy? I was like, oh, those guys, they exist? It really was. It was in many ways the most low-key of all. It got a little bit more animated at the end. Uh, and I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. I was heavily influenced, too, by watching it, uh, the impeachment hearings all day. It made tonight seem a little flatter, I think. It took some of the emotional uh, drama uh, uh, out of the out of the evening, um, but there was something else that came out uh, in the contrast. I think watching the last few days of these impeachment hearings has made you very very aware that you know, among Democrats there are two lanes. It's not just the centrists versus the liberals. It is the people who put uh, emphasis upon healing and unifying the country versus those who want to fight and have a revolution. And I think you put Biden and Buttigieg uh, and Klobuchar in that first group and Warren and, and uh, Sanders in the other group. Personally, after the impeachment hearings, I'm looking for a healer first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm more drawn to that. I think people like Van, you know, represent that kind of politics as well. And, and I think it makes Warren... It increases the danger that she's going to seem, you know, uh, she's going to try to have a plan for everything. She's going to throw everything out, start all over again. And it seem, seems both impractical, but it, it, there's a hectoring quality there that I think reminds you of some of the worst aspects of the impeachment. You just got Van booted out of the lab. <laughs> I thought a good debate. I like the issues we talked about. I always like what we actually get into good policy discussions, parental leave. Uh, talk about affordable housing. I don't think it moved the ball much tonight, to be honest with you. We can all say what we want. I don't think, I think there is exhaustion with impeachment going on today. Uh, I'm not sure how many people stayed in, tuned into this debate. The big picture here, I feel like the Democrats have a two-pronged burden of proof here. One, they have to prove the underlying conduct. They also have to prove that if that conduct happened, it warrants impeachment. Is that the bigger right. hurdle for a Democrat? The question is whether this episode itself can bear the weight of impeaching and removing a president for the first time in our history. I think the answer to that is no. Ukraine ultimately got the aid and didn't investigate anyone, didn't even make a statement. About Democrats do have a hard road here because 70 percent of Americans say they thought the conduct was wrong. But about half of them think impeachment and removal is, is warranted here. So they're kind of more on where Rich Lowry stands on this. Yeah, I think the American people are going to have to do a gut check here. Where's the line? American people with me. Just heard it. <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate here. Everybody gets a challenging question, okay? 90% of Republicans, Republicans still support this President, President Bush. Bush. Right? So Why is that, do you think? Yeah. Well, why I, th I think Megan makes a good point. Until you can point to a crime that was committed by the president himself. We can't get too sucked into the Beltway and the media circles. He's very popular in a lot of places in America. What I saw 
last night on the debate stage is not going to be good enough to beat him. You all are very convinced he's crazy, he's whatever, he's always been crazy like a fox. I knew yeah. he was going to win in 2016, and I'm telling you right now, if you think this impeachment hearing and everything with Sondland and the 30,000 cast of characters, which okay, by the way, go. every day right. is ticking lower right. and lower on ratings, if you think this is enough to have it locked and loaded, you, know who, you are naive. You know what I would like to are, see? I would like to see these people answer the subpoenas. Giuliani, you aren't listening to what I'm saying. You're, but you're not it's listening to what I'm saying. 51% of Americans think he I should be impeached. I am listening to you. Know. You're not I'm listening to what I'm saying. I'm saying 49% of Americans think he should be Do you know what matters? Is the Electoral College, which is what you all should be focusing on which right now. Which was created to save slave states. We'll be right back. On the island to the Sunset Strip. Somebody's gonna make a happy trip tonight. While the moon is bright. He's gonna have a bag of crazy toys. To give the corners of the girls and boys so day. Santa comes on day. Come a calling when the snow's the most. And all your cats are sleeping warm as toes. And you can flip with old Saint Nick. Face a lick on a peppermint stick. You come a flying from a higher place. You fill the stocking by the fireplace. So you, ever you that's Bubble, one podcast at a time. 
here's Tony Reed. This is not an impeachment inquiry, it's an impeachment inquisition. In the Middle Ages, the Inquisitor was free to act on his own and bring suit against any person who was even vaguely the subject of the lowest rumor. And the accused was denied any right to confront their accusers. Incredibly, or maybe not so much, given the Democrats' track record, an Inquisition victim had more rights than the Democrats are giving the President. After all, Inquisition victims had the right to know their accuser's name. For those of you at home, it's time to change the channel, turn down the volume, or hide the kids, put them to bed. Now I yield to Mr. Schiff for story time hour. I thank the gentleman, as always, for his uh, remarks. Mr. Nunez there, that was nice. Mr. Schiff's story hour. What was that I was just doing? Oh, I am enjoying one of the delicacies of life, my friends. If you can still find them, because I literally bought the last box I could find. Liga Pravada. Now, they make the acid line, which I do not like, of cigars. But they have what's called uh, number 9, which is very good, and a number 52, which is even better. But they come in small ones. They're called a flying pig. It's a 50 ring, and it is the most delicious cigar. So I bought a box, $270. Got my ass ream for it. But I smoke them on special occasions. Why is it a special occasion? I got authorization to smoke in the bunker today. So that's why it's a special occasion. But I usually save it for holidays or for... The beach, and when I quit dipping, which I'm going to start doing again because I dip way too much. I dip a can and a little bit more every day, which is insane. I would have a stogie a week, and that was it. And it was much better for me because, you know, you're not inhaling. So today I decided to smoke a stogie as we're doing the podcast because, you know, it's a Saturday. I'm on my own. It's 40 degrees and freaking raining outside. It's miserable. So a little stogie. Yeah, here we go. So, as we do that, I want to play, I was going to play this the last soundbite, but let's just play it, because Nunez says, Mr. Schiff Story Hour. This guy, remember, started with a fake line making up, just said some stuff that wasn't true. And this is how he closed the hearing. And then we'll go into how well received that hearing was. It came down to the fact that the day after Bob Mueller testified, the day after Bob Mueller testified that Donald Trump invited Russian interference, hey, Russia, if you're listening, come get Hillary's emails, and later that day they tried to hack her server. The day after he testified that not only did Trump invite that interference, but that... He welcomed the help in the campaign. They made full use of it. They lied about it. They obstructed the investigation into it. And all this is in his testimony and his report. The day after... 
after that, Donald Trump is back on the phone asking another nation to involve itself in another U.S. election. That says to me this president believes he is above the law, beyond accountability. And in my view, there is nothing more dangerous than an unethical president who believes they are above the law. And I would just say to people watching here at home and around the world, in the words of my great colleague, we are better than that. Adjourned. Now, remember, he started with lies, as I stated. We've been told that the Republicans are the unprofessional ones, the partisans ones, and these Democrats are the patriots saving democracy. From what, I don't know. I guess it's just Trump. And you people in the red states that shouldn't have a vote because electoral college should be banished because it's fucking racist. And that's how he closes. If a Republican closed a hearing like that, we saw it. It was the Benghazi hearings. They have mocked mercilessly every Republican that did any grandstanding during that. They claim that Hillary's saying, what difference does it make was awesome, even though everybody else went, oh my God, did she just say that? What difference does it make that Americans got killed on a building in Syria? Really? They played that like that was good PR. This is our media. This is pathetic. That was just some pathetic shit. You literally take off your Democratic blinders, your partisan, your resistance, your Antifa. That's some weak sauce. And how do I know it? Nearly all Americans continue to skip Dem hearing. Uh, MC Todd predicted on, okay, this was said, looking for day four of one of the potential drama with testimony of uh, Sondland, who had changed the account he first provided in a deposition last month. I think you've set everything up pretty well for tomorrow with Sunderland, Chuck Todd predicted on Tuesday. You have drama, you have a reason that people need to tune in. Actually, they tuned out. According to just released Nielsen Raising, 11.4 million people watched Wednesday's hearing across ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSDNC, and Fox. That's about the same as Tuesday morning hearing featuring Vinman 11.4. If you average Tuesday's two sessions together, the numbers have steadily edged lower throughout these hearings. 13.1 for day one, 12.7 for day two, 12.2 for day three, and now 11.4 for day four. That's an erosion of about 13% during the course of the hearing. It's also worth noting out that on Fox News Channel, hardly the preferred network of Trump haters has been consistent rating winners, according to the ratings, averaging 2.6 million, edging out MSDNC 2.5, and handling be, handily beating the liberal broadcast networks 1.9 million and 1.8 for NBC. CNN only got 1.7. That's why when you tune in your local local news. They're shoving it down your neck again. Because they, they, you didn't watch. Chuck Todd fucking told you to watch, you fucking cretins. You killed him with Mueller, dumbasses. The Mueller investigation went on for two and a half fucking years. The TV told us. I have a soundbite tweeted by all of people, Megan Kelly, that we'll end this segment on. It's just 
It's a shot with no chaser. You fucked yourself. Even if this was real, you fucked yourself. Nobody believes. So during this, impeachment witness confirms no quid pro quo, no bribery. Polls by MU Law show that during this whole time, Trump went up and now is beating Democrats and the will to impeach has actually gone down. Because there's no there there. Jim Jordan, a 40-minute opening statement from a guy who overheard a phone call that was a couple minutes. This is the Democrats' last-ditch effort. Talk about desperate. He's right. Jeff Duncan, this is huge. Mike Turner, nobody else on this planet told you that real Donald Trump was trying to aid these investigations. Is that correct? Correct, Sunland. Yes. It's time to end this madness, says Duncan. Lauren Rosen, Hill, the goal of Russian interference operation was to put whoever became U.S. president under a cloud to be their legitimacy, put their legitimacy in question, to pit one party against the other. They win. They win. I mean, they win so bad. Here's a GOP ad. I watched this ad. Fuck, I'm going to vote for Trump. This is about preventing a potentially disastrous outcome from occurring next year. I'd like to impeach the bastard right now. An imposter. He really should be punished. That charlatan in the White House. We're going to impeach the motherfucker. I am not running for anything except the impeachment of Trump. We cannot accept a, a second term for Donald Trump. If we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. Folks, look at it objectively. Seriously, just for a second, back up. Take off whatever party you're at and look at it objectively. If this whole thing was about democracy, if this whole thing was about we have a president that broke the rules and they never said anything, and then this came out, whether it be the media or whatever, and they started impeachment proceedings, and they said things like they used to back in Watergate days and in Clinton days. We're going to follow the evidence. I think the American people, you and I, anybody listening to this show consistency is, and consistently and isn't a liberal, would go, well, I need to listen. This might be serious shit. Maybe he did fuck up. But you tipped your hat November 9, 2016. November 9, 2016, you tipped your hat. Remember, the media hung on Mitch McConnell's stupid statement. So how are you going to work with the new president? I'm going to work to make sure he doesn't get reelected. That's what he said. And that was supposed to be the most fucked up shit ever, most unprofessional, racist crap you ever heard. Well, Democrats said, fucking hold my beer. We're going to impeach the motherfucker. You've been saying it since day one. You're going to impeach the motherfucker. I mean, how do you... Then say you're the professional person in the room. How do you sit and say that this is about democracy and the rule of law? You've been finding a reason to impeach him. You put, what, four articles of impeachment up on stupid, for saying shit whole country was impeachable. You literally voted on it. The media didn't push it because they went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Hold it there, Scooby-Doo. That ain't going to work. 
I mean, I what I came out of was with two sound bites. GOP uh, Representative Turner and Texas Ratcliffe. These two pretty much, to me, sum it up. It's there's nothing there. In public testimony, that's had conversations with both. So I get to ask you: You had a meeting with the President of the United States, and you believe that the policy issues that he raised concerning Ukraine were valid, correct? Yes. Did the President of the United States ever say to you that he was not going to allow aid to the United States to go to the Ukraine unless there were investigations into Burisma, the Bidens, or the 2016 elections? No, he did not. Did the Ukrainians ever tell you that they understood that they would not get a meeting with the President of the United States, a phone call with the President of the United States, military aid, or foreign aid from the United States unless they undertook investigations of Burisma, the Bidens, or the 2016 elections? No, they did not. You know, pretty much, Ambassador Volker, you just, like, took apart their entire case. I mean, if the President of the United States is not believe or intended, and the Ukrainians don't understand it, um, and you're the only one who actually stands in between them. Now, I ask you, Ambassador Volker, you're the free amigo thing or whatever that, that they're, they're trying to disparage you with, you're not part of an irregular channel, right, Ambassador Volker? Aren't you the official channel? That is correct. Explain that. Explain how you're the official channel and not an irregular channel. Right. So I was appointed by the Secretary of State, Secretary Tillerson, in July of 2017 to be the U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine negotiations. That's a role that's different from Assistant Secretary of State or different from Ambassador in Ukraine. That role is particularly focused on the diplomatic... Answer the question. Is it correct? No one on this planet told you that Donald Trump was tying this aid to the investigations. Because if your answer is yes, then the chairman's wrong and the headline on CNN is wrong. No one on this planet told you that President Trump was tying aid to investigations. Yes or no? Yes. So, you really have no testimony today that ties President Trump to a scheme to withhold aid from Ukraine in exchange for these investigations? Other than my own presumption. Which is nothing. I mean, that's what I don't understand. So you know what hearsay evidence is, Ambassador? Hearsay is when I testify what someone else told me. Do you know what made-up testimony is? Made-up testimony is when I just presume it. I mean, you're just assuming all of these things, and then you're giving them the evidence that they're running out and doing press conferences, and CNN's headline is saying that you're saying the President of the United States should be impeached because he tied aid to investigations, and you don't know that, correct? I never said the President of the United States should be impeached. Nope, but you did. You have left people with the confusing impression that you were giving testimony that you did not. You do not have any evidence that the President of the United States was tied to withholding aid from Ukraine in exchange for investigations. I After you testified, Chairman Schiff ran out and gave a press conference and said he gets to impeach the President of the United States because of your testimony. And if you pull up CNN today, right now their banner says Sondland ties Trump to withholding aid. Is that your testimony today, Mr. Ambassador Sondland, that you have evidence that Donald Trump tied the investigation to the aid? Because I don't think you're saying that. I've said repeatedly, Congressman, I was presuming. I also said that President Trump... So no one told you, not just the President. Giuliani didn't tell you. Mulvaney didn't tell you. Nobody, Pompeo didn't tell you. Nobody else on this planet told you that Donald Trump was tying aid to these investigations. Is that correct? I think I already testified. No, answer the question. Is it correct? No one on this planet told you that Donald Trump was tying this aid to the investigations. Because if your answer is yes, then the chairman's wrong and the headline on CNN is wrong. 
No one on this planet told you that President Trump was tying aid to investigations. Yes or no? Yes. So, you really have no testimony today that ties President Trump to a scheme to withhold aid from Ukraine in exchange for these investigations? Other than my own presumption. Which is nothing. I mean, that's what I don't understand. So, you know what hearsay evidence is, Ambassador? Hearsay is when I testify what someone else told me. Do you know what made-up testimony is? Made-up testimony is when I just presume it. Um, in a press conference last Thursday, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said that President Trump committed the impeachable offense of bribery uh, evidenced in his July 25th call transcript with President Zelensky. In concert with that, multiple Democratic members of this committee gave TV and radio interviews over this past week discussing how the president's conduct supported his impeachment for committing bribery, all of which struck me as very odd because for the longest time this was all about quid pro quo, according to the whistleblower complaint. But after witness after witness began saying there was no quid pro quo or even that quid pro quo was not even possible, we saw a shift from the Democrats. They briefly started to refer to the president's conduct on the July 25th call as extortion. And now it shifted again last week to bribery. Ms. Williams, um, you used the word unusual to describe the president's uh, call last, uh, on July 25th. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, you used the word inappropriate and proper. Now, I've word searched each of your transcripts. And the word bribery or bribe doesn't appear anywhere in that. Ms. Williams, you didn't, you've never used the word bribery or bribe to uh, explain President Trump's conduct, correct? No, sir. Colonel Vindman, you haven't either. That is correct. The problem is, in an impeachment inquiry that the Speaker of the House says is all about bribery, where bribery is the impeachable offense, no witness has used the word bribery to describe President Trump's conduct. None of them. These aren't all of the deposition transcripts. These are just the 10 that have been released. Six weeks of witness interviews in this impeachment inquiry, hundreds of hours of testimony, thousands of questions asked, thousands of answers given. The number of times that witnesses have been asked any question about whether or not President Trump's conduct constituted bribery before Ambassador Yovanovitch was asked by my colleague Congressman Stewart last Thursday is zero. The number of times witnesses have used the word bribery or bribe to describe President Trump's conduct in the last six weeks of this inquiry is zero. In fact, in these 3,500 pages of sworn deposition testimony and just these 10 transcripts released thus far, the word bribery appears in these 3,500 pages exactly one time. And ironically, it appears not in a description of President Trump's alleged conduct. It appears in the description of Vice President Biden's alleged conduct. This is important because as early as next week, my Democratic colleagues are going to say, we need to vote on the evidence from this impeachment inquiry, on the impeachment of the president for bribery. And they're going to send a report to the Judiciary Committee, and because there's more Democrats than Republicans, 
it's going to likely pass. And when that happens, the American people need to be clear that when the Democrats, what they are describing as bribery, not a single witness is describing as bribery. We've heard many times in the course of this proceeding that the facts of the president are not in dispute. But the American people are asking, if the facts are the same, why do the crimes that the president is being accused of keep changing? Why do we go from quid pro quo to extortion, now to bribery? Chairman Nunes told you the answer. The answer is polling. Washington Times asked Americans what would be the most damning accusation. And it didn't come back quid pro quo. It didn't come back extortion. It came back bribery. So this case is all about bribery. Look, it's bad enough that the Democrats have forbidden White House lawyers from participating in this proceeding. It's hard enough to defend yourself without your lawyers present. But what's even worse is trying to defend yourself against an accusation that keeps changing in the middle of the proceeding. If Democrats accuse the president of a high crime or impeachable offense, he at least ought to know which one it is. And when Speaker Pelosi says this is all about bribery, she's promised us evidence of bribery that would be compelling and overwhelming, and instead, it's invisible. I yield back. This is going to be an extra long podcast. Sorry about that, folks. There's just too much, especially with the debate. But listen, if you you trump it up that Sondland's going to just totally convict Trump, and then as Mark Meadows says, the most important quote of the hearing, Sondland, I've never heard from President Trump that the aid was conditioned on the investigation. He reached his conclusion on his own. So in short, in another witness who can't testify to the Dems' accusation. The accusation is it was quid pro quo, bribery, we're changing the verbiage, just like we're changing everything. And once again, you've had so many smoking guns. You, you've had smoking guns since fucking February 2019 with Russia, or 2017 with Russia, 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 Russia. I mean, people talk about Trump's credibility, and I'm not saying he's got great credibility. When you fight the crowd side and all that shit, yeah, he started off, and he's never, we have the greatest, the biggest, I got it. But the media and the Dems, you're the same, man. You're projecting once again. I mean, let's just break it down. You have said he's broken the law 4,000 times. During Mueller, it was a daily occurrence on CNN. Chiron, breaking news. And there was nothing there. And you allow Trump war room to do shit like this. Adam Schiff thought shit the same thing. Schiff thought it was plausible Ukraine would offer dirt on President Trump to him. Schiff arranged a phone call with what he thought was a senior Ukrainian official. Schiff then ordered his staff to arrange a meeting with the Ukrainian embassy in D.C. It sounds a little bit like Schiff is projecting with his impeachment accusation. Email four four seventeen. Adam Schiff's staff for Rhea Worker. I understand Mr. Schiff had a productive call with Mr. Perubi and that Mr. Perubi would like to make some material available to Mr. Schiff. Please let me know how best to arrange pickup of those materials from your embassy. Um, what material would they be talking about? And it goes on. April 5th email. Numerous. And I think we've already covered, so I'm not going to go in depth. Numerous examples. As we showed on the show of... The DNC working with Ukraine. Hillary being on the ground. The New York Times being on the ground. I mean, it's projection again. Byron York. 
Pelosi says House impeachment is not partisan. Problem is, Republicans are in denial about the facts. Suggest that GOP lawmakers honor their oath of office, they would vote with Democrats to impeach. She has already had a vote on the inquiry or whatever and taking place now. The vote for that was bipartisan in favor of the GOP. Does she really think any of Schiff's controlled testimony will change that? No. There's no there there. Then you start breaking down 2016. Zork. Undercover Huber knew in a previously undisclosed text of July 27, 2016, when Trump joked about Russian finding Hillary's emails, Page and Zork had the following exchange. Page, have we opened on him yet? Zork, opened on Trump? If Hillary did, you know five field offices would. Important. Only four days later, Hurricane Crossfire opened. Him, by Page, refers to Trump personally, shown by Zork response. Comey denied under oath was an investigation into Trump saying it was an enterprise investigation in Russia and any links with the campaign. Special counsel, legal advisor to the deputy director of the FBI really should be asking if investigations have been opened into a presidential candidate they don't like. An investigation should be into, into potential crimes, not specific people. But we suspected all along that an investigation was a personal and political and had nothing to do with protecting the country or, or election. They didn't want Trump to win. He won and they couldn't have that. Given Zork open crossfire hurricane himself, it's legitimate to question whether he was motivated by a desire to investigate Trump personally rather than any genuine investigation leads into Russian interference. Uh, NB, the Zork response has previously been reported, but I couldn't find any prior report of Page's response. Have we opened on him yet? That prompts Zork response. If you have seen it before, please let me know. Source and DOJ motion to dismiss Zork's wrongful determination. Exhibit 4, the test message exchange does not seem to appear in the text disclosed to Congress. It's been redacted. Opened on Trump. If it was Hillary, it'd be worse. They then continue to break this down. July 9, 2016, tr- page. Trump rarely spoke, but the whole thing out of his mouth was, we're going to win so big. The whole thing is like living in a bad dream. July 21st, 2016, Zork. Trump is a disaster. I have no idea how destabilizing his president would be. August 26th. It's 2016. Just went to Southern Virginia Walmart. I could smell the Trump support. September 26, 2016. Page. Page sent an article to Zork entitled, Why Donald Trump Should Not Be President, stating, Did you read this? It's scathing, and I'm scared. Those are the people investigating, starting the unbiased, unfiltered, this is about justice. I mean, America sees this. So once again, when you go to an impeachment file on a phone call that nobody was present for, and you have all this hearsay from a guy like Vindman, who, as we'll see in Military Corner, because I keep putting it there, literally his supervisors didn't, this guy's a douche nozzle. Why do you think anybody's going to buy this? Greg Jarrett, DOJ, releases mountainous security violation on Zork. One of the documents released include, it includes an August 2018 letter to Zork from the Justice Department Office of Professional Responsibility, in which Zork is accused of dereliction of supervisory responsibility for his failure to investigate the potentially classified 
Hillary Clinton emails that were found on an unsecure laptop belonging to Wiener with the 2016 election facts approaching. Also, DOJ and OPR noted that although Zork claimed to have double-deleted sensitive FBI material from his personal devices, his wife apparently found evidence of his affair on a cell phone, and it goes on and on and on. And for me, it's like, okay, well, that's justice, but that's probably not justice, because what we're really finding out is that the FBI is all a bunch of goddamn Democrats. So... They're probably trying to get him because Hillary lost. I mean, seriously. Dan Bondingo, another one. FBI official under investigation after they allegedly altered documents in Russian probe. An FBI official is under criminal investigation of allegedly altering a document related to 26 surveillance of a Trump campaign advisor. Several people briefed on the matter told CNN. So this isn't some right-wing website, folks. All this shit's off the regular web. They just don't put it on their TV. The possibility of substantive change to investigation documents likely to fuel accusations from Trump and his allies that the FBI committed wrongdoing in its investigation of the connection between Russia election meddling and Trump campaign. The finding is expected to be part of the Justice Department. Inspector General Michael Horowitz's review of the FBI effort to obtain warrants under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act on Carter Page, a former Trump aide, Howard Sir Howitz, will release the report next month. And you see how they reward it. Oh, Trump's going to use it. God damn it. We can't give them anything to use. You're giving it every day, CNN. I mean, Jesus Christ. Here's Lindsey Graham, pretty much sounding like me. Senator, you have talked about the Biden and Poroshenko, the president. Right. Um, well, releasing uh, transcripts. Right. Any chance we could ever get those? I'm asking for. On February the 2nd, the president raids the president's house of the gas company. Right. On February the 4th, he makes a public. Hunter Biden calls the State Department. On 11th, the 18th, and the 19th, of, uh, Joe Biden calls the president of Ukraine. About a month later, they prosecute her. This is the same guy urged to take action against the new president by the uh, American in 2015. This doesn't add. What was that phone call about? Why would you were the guy after he prosecuted the person who was the dirtiest person in all of Ukraine? Okay. You, to me, that you have a letter out. Yes, to Pompeo. What is the letter about? I want to know, are there any scripts or readout of the phone calls between the president and the president of the Ukraine in February after the raid on the, uh, the, the gas company president's house? After this raid, Hunter Biden kicks in. Hunter Biden's law, uh, business partner meets with G and Vice President Biden on three occasions. A phone call to the president of the Ukraine in, in March, and they fire the guy. This is the same man that the ambassador investigated in 2015. But what is it? Hunter Biden's was owned and that changed everything letter goes out tomorrow to the secretary of state my oh by the way never want, call never call me i, I want to know from my funny records of what the vice president talked about how were you calling the president in release ukraine them. after yeah. release them i know it's on hannity but i play all sorts of fucking cnn and msdnc shit so every once in a while somebody for fox sneaks in i think i can end this segment with what i said in the beginning there's no there there. This There's eight times Obama did it. Every president conditions stuff, and it doesn't matter what he conditions because that's within his oath to do it. The reality is 
We have a bunch of people that hate Trump. So now you're finding out stuff about the Trump administration that you never find under Obama. And with the proof that the every time something comes up on immigration, it's found to be from 2015, and then it's deleted by our media all the way up back to the Wayback Machine. They're deleting and deleting and deleting. It's pretty obvious. There's all sorts of shit you as an American do not know. Because the media coddles Democrats, and now we're finding out about Trump. But the most important aspect of this investigation is the old story about the kid that cried wolf. It sums it up because from November 9, 2016, when the glass ceiling in the Javits Center did not shatter, because remember, They wanted to shatter something and catch it to show the glass shattering. That's how crazy these fuckers are. We've heard nothing but hateful rhetoric and, as stated, 10 levels worse than McConnell were going to get him not re-elected from the left and the media. And Megyn Kelly tweets this, and I think it pretty much is a good way to end impeachment. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today, turning point. Today was historically bad for President. Today was a turning point. A turning point. point here. The beginning of the end of Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pett have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumbling impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. The beginning of the end. He may be feeling the wall on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls in on him. Breaking news. A new bombshell. Says this means the beginning of the end for President Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. It's tipping point. I know we've said it over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. Tipping point. And over and over. Breaking then Trump off the rails. There's the beginning of the end today. The of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic. I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Of the, end. the beginning of the end. We begin tonight with the bomb. Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping. Trump's going down. This president could. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president at his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. Not serve out his term. No way. No how. News. Absolute bombshell. Donald Trump is not. And it's over. It's over. Closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to. Week will be the watershed week. Trump is in. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man. Walls. Closing in. The walls are increasingly on him. Tonight the walls are closing in. Today everything. This is the beginning of the end. Tipping point for the Trump administration. What a historic day. Shells. He's underwater. He feels those closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 There it is. And I know I said that myself numerous times, but sometimes you just got to hear the graphic evidence. That's where we're at. How many smoking guns can you really have until people don't believe there's any smoke coming out of the gun? Which brings us into our next segue. The Dem debate. And as stated, I've talked about this just like I tied into, hey, the subtle biases. Those are like Matt in Oregon that listen to almost every damn show I've ever put out. I know it's tiresome, but it's so true. 
So it has to be restated. When Obama was president, every agenda he wanted, every directive, anything he wanted, most of the networks, specifically the Peacock, and the reason why I, I've, you know, really clue on them more on this is that I watched NBC. I watched NBC Nightly News. I watched the Today Show up until Obama. Um, because of stuff like this, they pushed pre-articles. I mean, things about what Obama wanted to do. And it was put out. And it, it was, you know, sad stories about people that didn't have freaking health care, had pre-existing conditions, and it was so sad, and blah, 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 blah. Well, they're doing it again. Here's NBC pre-debate. Remarkable that Donald Trump thought he could lie about the call. Quite changed they could, now. They could put out an incomplete transcript and and could lie his way through it. What's so fascinating, as we we are awaiting key witnesses uh, for the third day of public testimony, let's just frame it. Seventy percent of Americans, as we uh, reported earlier this morning, seventy percent of Americans think that it is wrong that Donald Trump used his position uh, to hold up military aid for a Democratic ally invaded by Vladimir Putin for his own political game. But to the point you just raised, you know, isn't it remarkable that President Trump thought he could get away with mm. lying like that? Joe, he has paid no price his entire life for his lies. He's president of the United States today. He has not paid a price for his lies. Well, I would, I, I would, if, if I could push back just a little bit, this, this hearing is not going to be run by Intel Chairman Devin Nunes. Yeah. It is going to be run Finally. by Adam Schiff, because actually Republicans did pay a pretty stiff price for the lies of the first two years of, of, of the Trump administration. And again, uh, it, it, it bears repeating that it was a historic landslide. If you look at vote total, Re Donald Trump's Republican Party lost by a greater tally in, in last year's midterm election than anyone else in the history of the United States. We're at the home of former Housing Secretary Julian Castro, showing him what one Democratic voter had to say about taxes. I'm being penalized because I'm single, I have no children, and I own no property. And what they're taking from me for taxes is it's absurd. Does that have, have a ring of truth to you? I think that for the last 40 years that we've expected more and more from the middle class and from the working poor and less and less from very wealthy corporations and people at the very top. How much money do you want to raise by raising taxes for the rich? Well, you know, to begin with, if we repealed the Trump tax cuts, that's well over $2 trillion over the next decade. I've proposed uh, also a wealth inequality tax that would apply to people that have assets in excess of $40 million. Castro would not tax owned wealth in total. Rather, he proposes a tax for the richest Americans on things like stocks and bonds as they increase in value. We're on the eve of the next Democratic 2020 debate on MSNBC, and tonight a top-tier candidate is speaking out to NBC News about an issue Democratic voters told us is very important to them, the opioid crisis. Senator Bernie Sanders tells Harry Smith how he would confront the epidemic in What Matters. We spoke with Senator Bernie Sanders at a restaurant beside the Winooski River in Vermont. From our group of Democratic voters, he heard a tragically common American story 
about opioids. Sanders sees the opioid epidemic as just one of the ailments plaguing the U.S. health care system. Under Sanders' Medicare for All program, addiction treatment would be available to any who need it, regardless of income. And he says the same program would force U.S. drug makers to lower prices. No American will pay more than $200 a month for their medication. Andrew Yang proposes setting prices for medical services and moving doctors to salaries rather than fees. He supports Medicare for all who want it, a public option that he says will create competition. The fact is we don't have a genuinely competitive market right now in the healthcare uh, industry for a variety of reasons, and this is a way to introduce competitive pressures in a real way. If these changes are going to be made, what will the bill be to the American taxpayer? Well, that's the joy of it, Harry, is that right now, if you start at a point where we're spending 18% of GDP, which we are, almost $4 trillion, to worse results than other countries, you can almost not help but save money. More access with lower cost. Andrew Yang's health care solution. You've never heard NBC, CBS, ABC ever do things on the wall, as I said, about how it's important that we beat the Soviets, how this, the war on terror. Mm -mm. I mean, you will find MSNBC did a really good job on the war on terror until that guy died. Um, Sadly, I really liked him. He was on board a, a Marine vehicle, and he had that leg thrombosis thing, and he died. Remember that? After that, the coverage went to shit, and a year later, they turned liberal. So, um... It's horrible. I mean, it's just horrible. You should never do this. Never. And then, when they do cover it, and with the questions, which Chuck Todd pushed this out prior, four seasoned journalists will moderate tonight's presidential debate. They happen to be women, he says. Andrea Mitchell, Ashley Parker, Kristen Welker, and Rachel Maddow, seasoned journalist, they say. Seasoned journalist. The world goes. One of these people in particular didn't actually ring the objective journalism bell. When did Maddow become a journalist, Chuck? Four seasoned journalists will moderate tonight's debate. They happen to be Democrat shells. I mean, seriously. Democrat shells. Just Fucking shills. All a pundit. Will anyone on stage tonight congratulate Joe on his new grandchild? Comfortably smug. The damn who wishes Joe Biden congratulate on his newest grandchild at the debate tonight instantly wins this in, is the rule. Stephen Miller. A good question at the debate tonight should be if Joe Biden thinks his new grandchild should have been aborted. Yeah, that's actually really true. And then Eric Wemple brings it in. MSNBC WAPO debate scored a mediocre 6.6 million viewers last night, continuing on a downtrend in viewership for these events. Lots of people, in other words, missed an informative and expertly moderated affair, he says. Washington Examiner, 14 million watched September's Democratic debate. 6.5 last night. 6.5. And listen to why.
former Vice President Biden, who did appear shaky at times, uh, particularly early. At times? At, at times. Yeah. Several like times. which time? Like at the time when he was talking about stopping domestic violence, we got to punch it and yeah. punch it and punch it? Yeah, three times. Or when he, when he talked about the only black woman <laughs> to ever be in the yeah. Senate endorsing him? Or this moment, this was his opening statement. Well, look, the next president of the United States is going to have to do, think, do two things. Defeat Donald Trump. That's number one. And number two, going to have to make, be, be able to go into states like Georgia and North Carolina and other places and get a Senate majority. That's what I'll do. Now, you have to ask yourself up here, who is most likely to be able to win the nomination in the first place, to win the presidency in the first place? And secondly, who is most likely to increase the number of people who are Democrats in the House and in the Senate? All right, so, of course, Willie's struggling there. He's closing his eyes. I, you know, he's, he knows he's having trouble finding words. The sentences are jumbled. The words are jumbled. I, I just wonder, when I read, I, I, you see this, and listen, I'll just say, I mean, I think Biden has the best chance of beating Trump. I do, like, if, if he's on his game. But I just wonder, is the media grading Joe Biden on a scale? Are we afraid to say that a lot of his sentences don't make sense, that he's having trouble completing thoughts? I, I feel a little defensive for him right now, actually, mm -hmm. just watching him, because this, you know, he, he, if you look at how he's doing... And you look at who he is, and you look at his history, personally and professionally, he is best suited for the job, one could argue. And, um, you know, whether his performance on a debate stage with 12 other people in 30 seconds or less is pitch perfect, I'm not sure it matters. And I think the voters who are engaged right now, they're really looking at those factors, who he is, what his background is, what kind of a person he is, who, could, who do they want to beat Trump and who they want to lead this country and bring us back to some version, some semblance of normal. And so in some ways, you know, back to your point, Joe, is he being graded differently? Uh, I almost think that uh, it, the opposite is happening. And, you know, it, it's still a little bit too much of a focus on those 30 second sound bites. You got to be able to complete a sentence if you're well, running for president. Yes, Especially if it's the first can. sentence you, 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 you do during a debate. I mean, he knows the question is coming. It was his opening statement. One of the things that's striking to me is that we are grading Biden on a, on a really unfair curve because we're grading him against an imaginary Joe Biden who we seem to remember as being really eloquent and really capable as a speaker. Joe, you know, he had a, a rough night at the outset, but was Joe Biden ever the kind of guy that finished sentences, you know, didn't get lost in his thoughts? I mean, this is kind of who he is, really. In some sense, it, it, people know Biden. I mean, he's not that different from the guy he was 20 or 25 years ago. He's always been gaff-prone and a little, you know, uncertain. Uh, but, I, but I think, um, you know, Mike's, Mike's point is absolutely right. Are you going to go with that, or are you going to say, you know, once again, we're going to lose 100,000 votes in the Rust Belt, have a big um, electoral blowout, and, you know, that's the big concern. Another Democratic debate is now history, this seemingly endless run-up to the 2020 presidential election continues.
on day 1035 of this Trump administration, which was a withering and relentless day of American politics, starting with what started out as a blowtorch of a witness in the House impeachment inquiry, ending just now, as we all saw on the stage in Atlanta. Ten candidates appearing after, for the true believers, what was an 11-hour day for television viewers. I thought the Mayor Pete had an exceptional night. I think he really demonstrated tonight, in a, in a performance that was pretty flawless, why he has risen into the top tier of candidates. I think that all of the candidates had good moments, with the exception of one. I think that Tulsi Gabbard was just awful. Uh, spectacularly bad. In fact, in a week between Prince Andrew, uh, Jim Jordan, and Devin Nunez, uh, she made a legitimate run for the medal podium, and um, and uh, just 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 dishonest. Well, I think all the senators actually did very well, and that means that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren delivered what has now become their standard, very solid debate performance for for their positions in the debate. Amy Klobuchar also very consistent debate performer. Cory Booker. Cory Booker, I think, tonight delivered the, his most solid debate yet, and, and tonally the most consistent debate. And then there's the Biden debate, which was a scored as a kind of flawlessly solid debate for him until yeah. this colossal gaffe, where it, it's, it's a gaffe unlike any other I've seen in, in a debate. Vice President Biden, you've suggested in your campaign that if you defeat President Trump, Republicans will start working with Democrats again. But right now, Republicans in Congress, including some of whom you've worked with for decades, are demanding investigations not only of you, but also of your son. How would you get those same Republicans to work with you? Mayor Buttigieg, you have said, quote, I will never allow us to get so wrapped up in the fighting that we start to think fighting is the point. The Republican Party never stopped fighting President Obama in his eight years in office. So what would you do that President Obama didn't do to change that? We're in the middle of the fourth presidential impeachment proceedings in our nation's history. Ambassador Gordon Sondland delivered testimony today in the House impeachment inquiry that buttressed the case that President Trump withheld military aid to Ukraine and a White House meeting with President Zelensky because he wanted the Ukrainian president to announce investigations that would benefit President Trump politically. Senator Warren, you have said already that you've seen enough to convict the president and remove him from office. You and four of your colleagues on this stage tonight, who are also U.S. Senators, may soon have to take that vote. Will you try to convince your Republican colleagues in the Senate to vote the same way? And if so, how? Uh, of course I will. You want somebody who can fix the system, but also heal the nation. Mm -hmm. And we, yeah, we got the progressive right now, they're going to fix it, they're going to fix it. They don't seem very healing. The healers don't seem like they can fix it. I think that, it, for me... I think a Deval Patrick, if all the cards fell his way, could be a, somebody who could fix the system and heal the nation. Well, look, um, I, full disclosure, I, I worked with him in his governor's race in 2006. He started off at 3% in Massachusetts, a state that is overwhelmingly white. Uh, and he uh, was not the, the, the choice, obviously, of the political establishment there. And he went town to town and he built a movement and he stormed that thing and he won the primary going away. He's a very charismatic person. He is a healing figure. Well, I've known Deval for a long time and admired him as governor. I think he was very good. I think, I think one of the challenges he has, he is rather quiet. 
he's not somebody who has great spark, but but he's very likable for that. You have a lot of faith in him, you have a lot of trust in him, but whether he can galvanize and move. Yeah, and he's very warm and compelling, and he seems humble, and, you know, and it sort of translates, I think, on, on TV in a way that could do him some good. I think the issue is it's so late. I mean- that last soundbite literally cracks me the fuck up because you heard it. They want a black guy. They want a black guy. They don't want what they got here. They think, oh, my God, we got these fucking kooks. Nobody likes any of them. Biden's not really that good. What the fuck? We need to score us another young black guy to be cool. Okay, we can't get that. So we'll get an older Devon Patrick black guy. And, yeah, we'll win again. We'll get to, get to feel good about ourselves and our country because we hired a black guy. They're fucking pathetic. So that's the fucking debate. Let's move on to other shit. Newsweek, after Representative Matt Getz complains, Florida woman who threw drink at him receives 15-day sentence. According to Ballopedia, she at one time considered running against Getz. Kondryevev, sounds Russian to me, Ran in 2016 election for U.S. House for Representative Florida 1st District. Kanye Ev withdrew from the race before filing deadline. For him to talk about violent crime, it's not as violent as a potentially DUI is to drivers on the road, Stevenson said. It's not as much as a threat to our national security as storming a security hearing with cell phone. Blah, 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 blah. But that's how the media covered somebody assaulting a person. Because it was, once again, a conservative. Then we have this one. Jennifer Griffin, Ken Starr, lead prosecutor in Clinton impeachment hearing. There is now proof that the President Trump committed the crime of bribery. This has been one of those bombshell days. This was on the 20th. Not true, but that's what they were wrong with. Ryan Savandra, this description of what he said is wrong. Starr was talking about Adam Schiff's word. Starr, substantively, what we heard from Chairman just now is it's over. I mean, this is his position. We know now that the president, in fact, committed the crime of bribery. That's what Schiff said. Daily Caller, this is fake news. Starr said that this is Adam Schiff's position. Jennifer Griffin, clarification. Ken Starr was interpreting what Kong Adam Schiff was now thinking about hearing the Sondland testimony, which then everybody re- readdressed it later. And even the NBC had to say, yeah, that wasn't it. Yeah, he didn't. he didn't give us that capper we were looking for. 9,000 initial tweets for Jennifer Griffin. 400 on our retweet correction, and that's the stuff we talk about. That's why they do it. You can spread all sorts of shit as a journalist with quotes. That's the whole fucking the end soundbike I played. I'm calling it the end. That's why you didn't get impeachment, jackasses. New York Times columnist, CBS News political analyst, joined secretive Dem donor conference. James Bowie refused to say whether he was paid by the Soros Network. Folks, Soros is more powerful than the Koch brothers. You hear about it all the time, and there's a New York Times columnist and a CBS political analyst, James Bowie. He's a race-hustling piece of shit. He's going to Dem Donor Conference with Soros? Do you think somebody from Fox could go to a Koch brother meeting? Which there weren't, but okay, if there was. 
Dan Abrams site, Mediate, just as liberal as ABC News, but meaner. I've talked about this before. I love Live PD. I'm all into Live PD. But Dan Abrams is a fucking liberal piece of shit. I've never liked him. I've been banned off their website from doing any posts. I've never cursed people or anything. It's just they don't want conservatives over there. And here are their highlights. And remember, Mediate is used by people all the time. It pushes all sorts of shit. It's kind of like what I use, Twitchy. And they have fucked up headlines, but not like this. Scarborough, GOP, colossally stupid impeachment strategy has 7 out of 10 Americans believing Trump did wrong. That's not true. Jimmy Kimmel lights up slick-backed sperm sample Donald Trump Jr. for smearing combat-wounded Lieutenant Vindman, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Gordon Sondland kept Mike Pompeo in the loop on Trump plot to pressure Ukrainians, says New York Times. Only the Sondland one is neutral-sounding post. Below that are the must-see moments, including a repeat of Spur Sample Donald Trump, Volker, allegations against Biden, not credible. I reject the conspiracy theory Giuliani pushed Jeffrey Tubin on Vindman. Volker impeachment testimony, today was a graveyard for Republican talking points. CNN legal analyst slams Rick Santorum for insane impeachment argument. And they go on and on and on and on. I mean, they're just fucking horrible. And that's an okay... CNN, Don Lemon. I'm not partisan liberal Democrat. CNN anchor Don Lemon declared Tuesday the Republicans are on the wrong side of history and the impeachment process of President Trump. And then he comes from this perspective, not as a partisan or some liberal Democrat. I'm not a partisan. I know people think I'm some liberal Democrat. I'm not. Lemon, a staunch critic of Trump, said while speaking with fellow CNN anchor Chris Cuomo. They used to think I was a conservative Republican. I'm not. But I don't think the Republicans aren't serving themselves well right now with their defense of lack thereof a credible one. Lemon made the remarks as he and Cuomo discussed Trump July 25th call. Yeah. Then, the soundbite I could get, here's Wolf Blitzer. If Ambassador Sutherland says next Wednesday, before the television cameras, what he said in his revised addendum in his statement, that this was done to to force the Ukrainians into engaging in a political investigation on behalf of the president for political purposes, what would you say? Show me the proof. Because I don't see anywhere where the president heavy-handed the president of Ukraine and said you have to do this or else. Well, he and that's what everybody's going to come back and say. I mean, honestly, that's the nature of the defense here is, look, I know that you all want there to be something wrong, but at the end of the day, there's nothing that shows he threatened or he held their hand saying, we're not going to release until you do this. And that's that's the issue. And that's obviously that's the problem in Congress and why they can't come to a resolution on I don't this. Want, I just want to point out that when you say you all, we just want to report the news. We just want to report the facts. That. We want to see where this leads. Uh, that, we don't have a, a political position uh, here in the Situation Room. Uh, if the president did absolutely nothing wrong, if the phone conversation was perfect, couldn't have been better, as the president says. Why not let, for example, the acting White House Chief of Staff, Dick Mulvaney, or the former National Security Advisor, John Bolton, come before the American people and, and tell us what happened? You know, I mean, I think that, look, I was governor, and I know the political games back and forth. I think if the president thought there was a genuine investigation, he would have no problem with them testifying. 
I think he feels like this truly is a witch hunt. And so he has his backup, and he thinks that this is all a way to y'all for y'all to trick everybody into saying something. Yeah, sure, Wilf. Julia Ihoff, who attacked GOP Representative Stefanik. My prognosis, Trump is impeached but wins re-election in 2020. My question, what does that mean for the American political experiment? Oh, I know what it means. What it means is Democrats are going to try to impeach him. They're going to do it probably in the freaking House because there's no proof, but they're going to do it anyway so that their base won't fucking overthrow them. The American people are saying, go fuck yourself. And the beat goes on. That's what's going to happen. Awkward. Cuomo phone call experiment fails miserably on live TV. Womp womp. Chris Cuomo has a law degree, right? What's that rule about not asking questions you don't know the answer to? The award for CNN's most cringeworthy moment as all day Wednesday goes to none other than Cuomo after he tried to prove the case against Donald Trump. The blender the blender occurred after impeachment inquiry testimony from political fair counselor David Holmes, in which he asserted he overheard a phone conversation between Trump and Sondland. Upon learning this, President Trump tweeted the fog. Okay, fuck, I don't give a fuck. L- listen, uh, why why would you do this on TV? Just just I I, I had to play this. I, I wow. Very interesting theory uh, from our president that he has really good hearing. Some would say uh, the best hearing ever. And he's never been able to hear a phone call um, when it wasn't on speakerphone um, from anybody. So let's just play with that for a second. Mom, can you hear me? <laughs> All right. So if I were hold, holding the phone here, I'm with Dana Bash. You know how you're always telling me to let her talk because she's so smart and I shouldn't say so much. Can you just say hello? Mom, she probably can't hear me. Mom, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. When you talk to me, I hear you. I'm talking to you. Say hello to Dana Bash. Hi, Mrs. Cuomo. How are you? All right. So, I, I can't hear your mother, Chris. So, you're you're over you. there. So uh, this is across the table. This is not on speakerphone. I'm sitting across the table. It's not on speakerphone. It's regular phone. Her. It's two feet away from Dana. She can hear my mother. I'm not sure mom can hear us. <laughs> mom, thank you very much. Thank you for not saying anything that will get me in trouble. I'll call you back. I love you. All right. Okay, so I offer direct testimony? Please. It, it, it was, it did say mom on this. <laughs> yes. That was, that was. Yeah, it's definitely my mom. mom yeah. All, yeah, okay. Although she doesn't constantly tell people I'm a mistake. Uh, she says <laughs> that she How did. How did he know it wasn't on speakerphone, though? Um, whether he easy, did or not. Very easy to The point is this. On speakerphone. That's, that's a good point. Accidentally. It's, you can hit your ear and make it go on speakerphone. She, he said he had an. We are real news, Mr. President. Yeah. We're real news. I just did air quotes. What the fuck was that? Basically, you proved Trump's fucking point. How do you know what was said on a phone when you weren't on the phone? And that's the premise for the entire impeachment. Our media, as I close every time on our media sections, is heart garbage. So, Cool Yule by Kurt Elling a more modern version of the classic, and we'll go into news, social media nuggets.
the Sunset Strip. Somebody's gonna make a happy trip tonight while the moon is bright. He's gonna have a bag of crazy toys to give the garnest of the girls and boys. So dig, Santa comes on big. He'll come a calling when the snow's the most. When all you cats are sleeping warm as toast, and you're gonna flip when old Saint Nick plays a lick on a peppermint stick. You'll come a flying from a higher place, fill the stockings by the fireplace. So you have a you that's cool. You know what, Eddie? What's that, old buddy? You know, I wonder if Santa's copped that sky piece for me this year. You know that that one I pulled his coat about. Well, you know Santa's no goof now. He's a cat, a real swinger. Oh, I take that all the way, man. Why, many's the Xmas I've been out goofing with the cats till way past night noon. I stumble home to find hoof prints on the roof and a stocking full of stuff. That's right. If you've been cool, Santa won't do you wrong. Well. He even left me a note one time. A note? What That's say, right. partner? That's right. Well, you know it was touched up in magic Xmas ink, so I had to taste some rum cake before it came clear to me. But there was, in all its yuletide glory, glowing by the firelight, it was beautiful. It said, "Have you? That's cool. Cool you, huh? Finest kind. That's right." Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
Good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. The most damaging testimony during a day of impeachment hearings came from a decorated combat veteran wearing a chest full of service medals and a purple heart. Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman told Congress he was alarmed by the president's July phone call with the leader of Ukraine, saying it was improper and inappropriate that Mr. Trump would ask a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent and that it could undermine U.S. national security. All three of the witnesses today who worked in the White House and were on that call said the president's words were unusual and raised concerns. We begin with the televised hearings for the first time today. Millions of Americans heard from witnesses who listened in on that call between President Trump and the president of Ukraine. The witnesses who were alarmed by what they heard taking the oath, ready to talk about the call that the president has said was perfect. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, who works in the White House, testifying the president's call, asking for investigations into 2016 and into the Bidens, was improper, saying it amounted to a demand. The combat veteran who earned a Purple Heart testifying in uniform, the president criticizing him for doing so. Vindman, who's recently been the target of personal attacks, defending the veteran diplomats who testified last week. I want to state that the character attacks on these distinguished and honorable public servants is reprehensible. In highlighting his own immigrant story, a Soviet refugee who became a decorated Iraq war veteran, with this message to his family, who brought him here from Ukraine. But then a different view of the call from Tim Morrison, a top official on the National Security Council, who was also listening in, and has testified he was not concerned anything illegal was discussed, but worried the call would spark a political firestorm. My fears have been realized. This morning's hearing getting testy when top Democrat Adam Schiff jumped in to stop Republican questions after Vindman revealed he had spoken to an intelligence official about the July call. What agency was this individual from? If I could interject here. You indicated in your deposition that um, when you took over the portfolio uh, for Dr. Hill July 15th, uh, you were alerted to potential issues in Colonel Vindman's judgment. Yes. Um, did, did she relay anything specific to you, specifically to you? Why she thought that? Not, not as such. It was more of a overarching statement from her and um, her deputy, who became my deputy, that um, they had concerns about judgment. Okay. Um, did, did any other NSC personnel raise concerns with you about Mr. Vindman? Yes. Or, I'm sorry, Colonel Vindman. Um, and what were some of those concerns that were brought to your attention? There were. I'm sorry, we, we are not going to. Uh, I'm going to instruct him not to answer. I'm going to instruct him not to answer because I think that it's, uh, it's beyond the scope of, uh, of what you're asking for. These, these concerns, Mr. Castor, uh, predated any uh, involvement with Ukrainian sector assistance. Um, well, during the deposition, I asked you, Mr. Morrison, whether others raised the concern that Mr. Uh, Colonel Vindman may have leaked information. You, you, you did ask that, yes. Yeah, and your answer was? Uh, others have represented that, yes. Okay. Um, and I asked you whether you were concerned Colonel Vindman uh, did not keep you in the loop at all times w w with his official duties? Yes. Um, and, in fact, when he went to the National Security Council lawyers following the July 25th call, he did not first come to you. Is that correct? Correct. And you were his um, supervisor in the chain of command, correct? Correct. And in hindsight, did you w wish that he had come to you first before going to the lawyers? Yes. 
Uh, and why is that? One, if, if he had concerns about something about the content of the call, that's something I would have expected to have been notified of. I, I also think just as a matter of practice, since we both went to the lawyers, we didn't necessarily both need to, and uh, economy of effort may have prevailed. Okay. Um, at any point subsequently, did, did he become frustrated that he felt cut out of some, some of the Ukraine portfolio? Yes. Um, and what was the nature of his concerns? Well, he, I think the easiest way to say it is he was concerned with respect to, for example, the Ukraine trip uh, that he was not, uh, um, he did not go. Um, he asked me why uh, it was my practice to have uh, a number of the conversations with Ambassador Taylor one-on-one, -on -one. Um, and there were certain other matters. Okay. Um, and did you ever get the sense that you resolved his concerns, or did they linger? I, I, I explained to him my thinking, and that was... That's our media jerking off to Vindman, defending Vindman. How dare you do that to a soldier full of, chest full of medals, when if anybody done that on Obama and Clinton, they got kicked the fuck out of the army. Timothy Morris and Alexander Vindman's boss reveals problems they had with Vindman, and he testified to it. Then Vidman literally, Weijia Zhang, exclusive, our sharp CBS News photographer, captured a good-spirited Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman returning to work after testifying in impeachment hearing. Here, Vidman's with his twin brother clearly wanted to be seen as they taking a selfie in front of the West Wing. That motherfucker should be put away. He should be kicked out of the Army because he violated his oath. He's a partisan. This isn't about Trump. It's about what he did. He's a partisan. And I once again bring out, any fucking soldier that ever disparaged Obama, oh my God in heaven, you work for the President of the United States. When generals criticized foreign policy, they were crushed in our media betters. Or by our media betters. Airman of the Year earned Silver Star for heroism in Afghan firefight, Sergeant... Tech Sergeant Cody Smith, this guy's a bad motherfucker. I'm not going to go into it because we're long today, but he kicks some big ass. Fundraising campaign to make Little Green Army women crushed its goals. Little Girls Everywhere will soon have the chance to play with a set of classic Little Green Army soldiers that actually reflect the presence of women in the armed forces. The Kickstarter campaign earned 11400 in just 12 hours, ended up reaching $18,000. Jeff Immel, CEO of Scranton, Pennsylvania-based BMC Toys, and man behind the campaign, explained that his sold plastic army men for many years would occasionally be asked if they had it and decided to go with it. So they're going to start making a 24-piece set that includes plastic soldiers in six different poses, a grenadier, bazooka, Operator, standing rifleman, kneeling rifleman, pathfinder, captain, and prone sniper. <laughs> the soldiers' uniform equipment will be cold wear and designed especially to allow these figures to fit in a wide range of plastic army men. They're not going to change them. Um, the first stretch goal of 13A is funding has already been met and will allow Immel to add a running rifleman and a combat medic. The next stretch goal of 17-8 would bring in a radio operator and a low-crawl figure to make a set of 30 figures in 10 different poses. And I'm going to buy a set. Those are cool. Once again, 
I bash a lot of liberal shit on here, but that's, you know, why shouldn't little girls have them? They should have them. It's a good idea. Air Force, now I'm going to look like a hypocrite, going to change height waivers and requirements to be a pilot so they can have more women. That's the reason. Air Force leader who wrote essay about respecting subordinates fired for disrespecting subordinates. That's pretty much a perfect column for officers. Coast Guard seizes shocking $69 million worth of cocaine from a drug-running sub. Holy shit. And then, sadly, two U.S. service members killed in Afghanistan in a helicopter crash. Um, they finally identified it. The crash occurred in Afghanistan. Chief Warrant Officer 2, David Nadel, 33. Chief Warrant Officer 2, Kirk Fugami Jr., 25, were killed after the helicopter crash in Afghanistan's Logar province. According to the Pentagon, it was non-combat related. Um, they just crashed. Which brings us to our college crazy. Here's a protester getting the same treatment they hand out. I'll preview it with this. I can't stop laughing at how pathetic leftist activists this is Caleb Hull are. She gets so triggered by someone literally just standing there with an opposing view that she attacks him and claims he sacrificed her safe safety. Screechy things doesn't understand how personal space work. Also doesn't understand how public space works. I really hope she's charged battery. These children need some discipline that they are greatly lacking and here's the soundbite i mean this is your tolerant left I'm gonna step back now. That was a battery charge. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. What the fuck? And and let's just say the obvious. If that was a conservative woman, person of color, it wouldn't matter. Doing that to peaceful women's march protesters or abortion rights protesters or cops or pieces of shit protesters. Yeah, that'd make the news, but that sure the fuck didn't. We reported on our last show that the Pledge of Allegiance was banned, but then it got dick slapped. And they repealed that vote, probably because the administrators brought him in and said, listen, Chia Pet, you need to get your head out of your fucking ass. And then, you know, I, I wanted to look for a song to play every time we come up with a new college, This Is Racist. Well, I found one because MIT Boost Professor... Seeking to abolish racist concept of citizenship. Everything is racist. 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 Everything is
MIT is actively promoting a citizenship expert who believes in the abolition of citizenship because he says the concept itself is racist and biased against women. He didn't want to put two ists in there. MIT recently highlighted an interview with former Princeton professor and current professor at the University of Krongen, the Netherlands, Dmitry Kochenev, a citizenship expert, who vehemently asserts the notion of citizenship is truly a racist concept, guilty of the chronic exclusion of women. Konovic insists that having no borders is not really as radical as it might seem, and that citizenship is not always about creating the borders, but that it can also be about precisely removing them. I'm not reading anymore. Yeah. So I know the song says 17. Eh, it's 19, 20. Who the fuck diff? What's the difference, man? These people just spend all day like Colin Kaepernick. Well, this is racist and that's racist. How do I know? Washington Lee students want option to omit Washington's pro portrait from their fucking diploma because he might have, he had slaves. Can't. Can't have that. Ivy League students pushed to abolish prisons. Students at Brown University gathered in November to teach their peers about the merits of doing away with the U.S. prison system. Student group by the name of Railroad held, held the event titled Prison Abolition 101 on November 8th. The group seeks to ensure that the American prison system is destroyed and believes that incarceration is inherently unjust and unproductive. Railroad member Grace Austin said during the re- event that the end goal is not to have prisons as any form of incarceration and that punishment at any stage doesn't guarantee any kind of growth. The student group's stated mission is to create a world where the prison industrial complex in all its forms has been destroyed and built in place are systems of accountability that allow for healing and growth. Prisons were found in the idea of punishing the poor Punishing black people. Oh, it's racist. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick. Oklahoma student government ditches boomer and sooner for more sensitive words. Oh, let's dig into this one. Students at the University of Oklahoma are working to remove the school's boomer sooner nicknames because they're offensive to Native Americans. Oh, really? The university uses the nickname Sooners for its athletic teams and other purposes, as well as similar reference to Boomers, but word in this case refer to groups of settlers who arrived in the 1800s. The decision to remove the Sooner name from the Freshman Council comes shortly after the Undergraduate Student Congress passed a bill in early September to execute Indigenous Land Acknowledgement, which includes a statement that OU students are visitors on the land and thanks indigenous people for being generous with their land. Do they even learn anything anymore? Does anybody teach anything other than social justice craziness? I mean, really? Fucking Jiminy Crickets. And then we quit our college section and go into gay shit. These are people at Berkeley because Ann Coulter spoke. And I think Antifa is saying kill the fucking cops. I hear it. Our media won't play it. (laughs) 
Hey, 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 bow, 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 little pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. Yeah, it passed. It passed. I'm I'm really hoping they vote for it. Uh, it's definitely going to be a a step forward in progress. Um, I'm I'm really excited if they vote for it. Uh, a bit nervous though, as as always, just you never know. Um, but it's definitely a first step forward in in many more steps. Uh, it's a great policy. Uh, unfortunately, it's not everything we want, such as talking about even even the small things like changing the name on your student ID, uh, which you're required to wear at all times. Um, so I'm really hoping that the district makes the right decision here and votes it. Yeah, it passed. It passed. Then how's that make you feel? Oh, I'm I'm ecstatic. I, I'm just. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I feel uncomfortable that um, my privacy is being invaded. As I am a swimmer, I do change multiple times naked in front of the other students in the locker room, and um, I I understand that the board has an obligation to all students, but um, I was hoping that they would go about this in a different way that would also that soundbite just broke my heart. That is, um, parents and daughters are already have enough to worry about, but parents and daughters of Illinois Township High School District 211 now have one more thing to worry about. Their daughters being forced to change out of their clothes in front of biological males who say they're female. Not identify. You can't identify as the opposite sex unless you are that sex. It is gender appropriation. Why isn't that a thing? Jonathan Van Maren, take a minute and watch this. A teenage girl fighting tears because her school board ruled that bathrooms are open to anyone who identifies as a girl. She is terrified that a boy will see her naked and her privacy concerns are dismissed. She is collateral damage for trans activists. Here's the details of the story. Right across the country, adults are forcing girls in an impossible situation. Girls are actually afraid to use the bathrooms in many schools now, and doctors are warning that they could physically harm themselves by waiting until they are home at the end of the day. In Palatine, Illinois, a four-year-long debate over access to locker rooms for transgender students came to an end this week when the school board of District 211 voted 5-2 to permit students identifying as female to use a female locker room. The fight began in 2015 when Obama gave that bullshit. 
The new policy reads in part that transgender students shall be treated and supported in a manner consistent with their identity, which shall include students having access to restrooms and locker rooms that correspond to what they think they are. Female students were upset by this decision, especially as their comfort seemed of a little consequence or concern to decision makers. I do not want to see a transgender student naked in a locker room, one girl said. Another student, Julia Burke, a friend high school, was equally blunt. I feel very uncomfortable and I feel it's against my rights as a student. Previously, the school district had permitted transgender students to use a locker room of their choice, but had asked the male students identifying as female change in a private area. This, as you can imagine, was not considered adequate by the transgender model. Mafia and one transgender student, Nova McKay, filed a lawsuit against the district in 2017. That's that piece of shit that sounded like me trying to act like a girl. Yeah, purple hair or pink hair. Yeah. Other girls were not required to use. So one transgender student decided that she shouldn't have to change in a private changing area, and the school board decided that it was reason enough to jeopardize the physical and emotional well-being of countless of females. A handful of transgender students who can't bear the thought of changing their clothes in private have effectively been given the power by the school board to violate young women's privacy. How can this policy be considered even remotely reasonable? Man, there are a lot of trans activists saying girls need to just get over themselves and realize this is no big deal. Apparently, if your feeling, feelings and instincts don't line up with an ideology our culture got on board with 15 minutes ago. Trans activists want girls just to shut up. And simultaneously when this broke, I was watching Frozen. And I did some searches. And as I say every podcast, this is their design. Force it, brainwash it for 0.07% of the country. It's not even a full percentage point of the country. You will force this down their neck. They will conform. That's just the way it is. NBC, This Is Us, encourages 11-year-old to come out in the drive-thru. That was on a show. And as stated... Right when I put this in the podcast, I search Frozen. I'm going to play a soundbite. Not going to play all of it. And then I'm going to describe it, describe it, and then I'm going to read some articles to prove my point. If you saw this, if this was a YouTube channel, I don't care how open you are, how progressive you are, this Shit is disturbing. I am gay. I am gay. I really hope that that's okay. I am gay. I am gay. There's really not much more to say. Hello, it's your girl, Miss Disney. I'm a female drag queen, innit? Just doing this now on Pink News. I identify as a femme lesbian. I basically turn Disney princesses and Disney characters into queer icons. Disney doesn't really have that much representation of LGBTQ plus people as of yet. They're getting there, but they're not there yet. So I'm stepping in as drag, singing all the Disney songs, but changing it up to make it more queer. For me, Disney was uh, more of like a home at the time when I was confused. Um, and although there wasn't any representation or someone, you know, coming out of the screen as an animation going, you're like.
like me. It was more like I fancied some of the characters. <laughs> so, you know, for example, Susan from Narnia. Oh, but then again, you know, Disney has changed with the times. So, you know, they're starting to realize actually bringing in powerful um, women characters. Elsa doesn't have a relationship. Moana didn't have a relationship. In the 90s, you know, you had Mulan who um, showed that she wanted to fight for her father. But then you've obviously got the originals like Cinderella, who was very much in a position where she felt like you know, getting with a guy was was going to get her out of her situation. But I've started to explore recently about um, changing the songs to have more of a message behind them. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once controlled me, I won't allow it anymore. It's time for me to tell the truth. I spent nine years hiding behind my youth. No rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. I'm free. I am gay. I am gay. I really hope that that's okay. I am gay. I am gay. There's really not much more to say. Here I'll stand and here I'll stay. I'm gonna do this now. I've called one the Femme Lesbian Song, which is about um, when a guy will chat you up, you tell them you're gay, and they still won't take no as an answer. Madame Gaston, his little wife, Ugh, no sir, not me, I guarantee it, I'm queer as f I wanna live my life. I've had before people say, oh, well, you obviously haven't found the right then or have you tried it with guys you know you might like it or who hurt you or um, the, the best one I've had yet is oh I've always wanted to try a lesbian I feel like because I lost my childhood too early Disney is something that can really actually heal me and drag kind of came into my life at a time where I was just very lost drag in for me got me out of a difficult relationship, um, an emotionally abusive one. Um, the two came together and it gave me a sense of purpose again and a sense of empowerment. You know, a lot of the time people just have a kind of focused view on the fact that drag is just specified to one gender. So I normally just say, you know what, um, you know, my drag is basically the same as a male drag queen, I just have a vagina, that's the only difference. Um, drag is a form of expression, it doesn't specify to any gender, and you know, if someone's gonna come in to my life, they have to kind of slot into it rather than me compromise anything. I'm queer as f I'm still your daughter anyway. Now understand. We don't consider that video, which is on YouTube, not parental controlled in anything, as a gateway drug to anything, or inappropriate. It's disturbing. I don't know if that's a guy or a girl. I couldn't fucking tell. It looks like a guy. And they take Disney songs, and they make them gay. Gay-centric. I'm relighting my cigar. And it was just fucking disturbing. So, when I started going, why does gay people 
Or why does, that sounded like all crazy, why do gay people consider Frozen such an important thing? I find these articles. Frozen Let It Go is now a lesbian anthem. Frozen song Let It Go is now a lesbian anthem after getting a makeover by lesbian drag queen Ms. Disney. So I guess she's a girl. I couldn't tell. The drag queen has written an unofficial gay version of the iconic Disney song, which we heard and I gagged on. Maria Gardner, a.k.a. Miss Disney, is a femme lesbian and a female drag queen. I don't even know what that is. Who turns Disney princesses and Disney characters into queer, queen, queer icons. Gardner colorfully impersonates the character performing classic Disney songs that she reworks as coming out tunes and queer anthems. On fan speculation that Frozen character Elsa is lesbian, the family... We've covered that on the show. It's just disgusting. The female drag queen said for Elsa to actually have feelings for other girls rather than guys would be much more incredible step for Disney. Talking to Pink News, which I got a bunch of these gay websites that all popped up. That was easy to find, man. You just put Frozen gay. Got Google's all with you, man. Here's Pink News, Out News, This News, That News. Um... Miss Disney admitted that Disney doesn't really have that much representation and blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on and on. And we heard some of it. Other gay anthems. Because then I found out this is a big deal. I mean, this is huge for these gay people. They got to have this shit. Um, They have a Wikipedia page. Um, They had them back to the 20s, they're saying. But we'll go more current. Let's say 92 Deeper and Deeper by Madonna. I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. Let's go to 2000. Uh, but just like their shtick, cis, turf, 95 pronouns, you clearly don't have one gay anthem. So in the year 2000, they had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 songs. One of them, Can't Fight the Moonlight by Leanne Rhymes. How that works. Let's go to 2010. Uh, All the Lovers by Kylie Minogue. Dancing on the Moon by Robin and Katy Perry. You're like a firework. 2011, of course, Lady Gaga gets involved because she is gay. Born This Way. Uh, two Beyonce songs. Melanie C. Uh, they literally go down into 2012. Frankie Ocean. Forrest Gump. Macklemore. We knew about that. Um, and what do they say for uh, 20... It should have been Let It Go. Well, that's just kind of weird because it's not in here. Hmm. They don't Let It Go became 2013. So for 2018, they say their gay anthems are Strawberries and Cigarettes by Troy Sieben, Make Me Feel and Pink by Janelle Mona, Manek and Haley Seinfeld Color, Calvin Harris and Sam Stein promises. Andrea Grande, no tears left to cry and thank you next. And this year, because once again, can't agree on anything. Nails, hair, rips, and heels. Never heard of it. Abreas Para, Old Town Road, on a roll. Taylor Swift, you need to calm down. Lights up and high heels. Never by Melanie C. I don't know who that is. So, Snopes comes up in this search. Did Disney announce Elsa would be lesbian in Frozen 2? False. 
CNN, some people really want Elsa to come out in Frozen 2. Newsweek, will Elsa have a girlfriend in Frozen 2? Director responds to gay rumors. This story was on every major media website. Jennifer Lee, the director of Disney Frozen, said that there were tons of conversations about a lesbian story arc for Queen Elsa in the film's upcoming sequel. Frozen became a Walt Disney... Uh, first became the first Walt Disney to get a blah, blah, uh, Academy Award, blah, blah, blah. Since its release, the film has grown in popularity among members of the LGBTQ community, as many of them suspect that Elsa is, in fact, a lesbian. In an interview... Head of Lee's upcoming movie, A Wrinkle in Times, he said she wouldn't be opposed to seeing Elsa as a lesbian, because you can't say that, because if she did, she'd get fucking drummed out. I love everything people are saying. People are thinking about, with our film, that it's creative dialogue, that Elsa's a wonderful character that speaks to so many people. It means the world to us that we've been part of these conversations. We're really going with it. We have tons of conversations about it, and really conscientious about these things. For me, Elsa every day telling me where she needs to go, and she continued to tell us. I always write for that. Shut up! It's a cartoon, for Christ's sake. Daily Beast is Frozen the gayest movie of the year. Remember, this is a kids' movie. Kids. This is about kids. This isn't about your hang ups that you don't like your penis, or your vagina. Or, I like sucking penis, and I like vagina. No movie has ever made me go, God damn it, I'm heterosexual. This is so badass. Unbeknownst to you fucking hetero haters and soldier haters, I didn't watch a lot of war movies once I went to war. Wasn't my thing. Hide your kids, this article goes. Anti-gay conspiracy theorists warn that the critically acclaimed cartoon is actually homosexual propaganda. Now, who the fuck says that? Do you know anybody that ever said that? You made it your propaganda. Well, I didn't watch it the other day because, oh, gee, I want to watch some gay propaganda. I watched it because it was a cartoon that my kids, grandkids watched, so I wanted to watch the thing. And for some reason, I watch it at Christmas. I don't know why. Frozen might just be the most talked about kids movie since Toy Story, but it's not all accolades and awards for Oscar-winning animated flick. There's a fear campaign mounting against the film, warning conservative parents and grandparents to keep their impressionable young children away from what seem, some believe in musical advertisement for gay agenda. It seems to have started with Catherine Skaggs, who, according to the title of her blog, is a well-behaved Mormon woman. I've never heard of this. I'm a conservative person. I've never heard of it. After being dragged against her will three different times by three sets of grandchildren to see Frozen, Skaggs couldn't let it go any longer. After the third viewing, she was convinced this beloved movie with this top-notch animation, and its catchy theme song doesn't just have homosexual undertones, but in 108 minutes of pure gay propaganda. Not reading anymore. This is what they do every time. One person does it. It's all gays. Or gay phobia. Or homophobia. Yet, when we do it to lefties, when I do it on this show to lefties, that is what you all are. It's not like I'm just poking people out. Conservatives, you are, yeah, you got kooks. Yeah, people go to a movie and go, hey, there's a gay agenda. But not everybody. Next article. It's not just Frozen. Most Disney movies are pro-gay. This was on a, a real website. Daily Beast, it went over everything and about 
everybody was this and everybody was that. And you can look into this and believe that this person was gay. And you can look into this and make sure that they were they're questioning their sexuality. But you don't see on these websites transgender convicted killer to be transferred to female prison. That, that didn't hit any of the website. That was on a conservative website. Johannes Miller previously served as covered by the Daily Wire. Another one. One in 50 male offenders in prison say they are transgender according to a survey. Blah, 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 blah. She was a fucking murderer. It was a murderer. That didn't get out. Which brings me to a segue and why I played this shit. This pushing of the LGBT craziness onto children and the request to have gay characters in Disney films and all this stuff if it was Disney doing Noah's Ark or having uh, mermaids that end up saying, if you believe in God, you'll find the way. Or just insinuating anything about a higher being, whether it be the God for Jewish people or Jesus for Christian people, the left would lose their fucking minds. We'd have full exposés on CNN about how we're brainwashing kids into religion. But that's what they're doing with all this media. Not to be like that kooky lady. I'm not saying Disney went out and made a fucking movie to make a bunch of people gay. What I'm saying is the gay mafia takes Disney movies. The gay mafia on YouTube puts out that crazy fucking thing we played. Miss Disney or whatever the fuck that thing was. Rolling around on a bed in a fucking princess dress. It was just disturbing. It'd be like me rolling around on a bed. You just vomit. And they manipulated into their agenda of gayness, transgenderism, and it's just free on the internet for our kids to see. It's all good to go. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm just saying. That's okay. But God damn you, they would say, if you were doing the same thing with morals and family structure, just traditional family, anything traditional family, that's racist. Anything about religious, that's brainwashing. Ben Shapiro's a gateway drug to fucking white supremacy. Well, what the fuck is that to kids? When you're pushing Disney, who's going to relent? They already did it on a film by putting a gay guy without showing him bumping and grinding into a movie. You can guarantee if there's a fucking Frozen 3, she's going to have a girlfriend. They're going to buckle. And with the NBC story and everything we talk about here, they keep pushing this shit. That's what the media does. Then a side story. We're off Frozen. I'm watching American Monster with my wife. 
It's a show about murderers. And on this show, there was two friends. One friend and his wife show up at the friend's house and they find him dead on the floor in the basement. They act like they're really sad. The cops don't think of him as a, as a suspect. By the end of it, we find out that the guy was gay, bisexual, and the other guy was going to out him to his wife, not to society, to his wife, and so he killed him. When I researched that death, it's one of the many homosexual, transgender murders that they say heterosexuals are doing on the poor LGBT community. At no time in this did the show talk about it, but the mafia did. And I thought, how interesting it is that I watch a murder show, and there's the bullshit that Warren's pushing, CNN's pushing, all these people are pushing, Lemon and Cooper are both gay pushing, that there's this concerted effort by people who are trans and homophobic, out killing people, and another example of them taking the numbers and making it fit so they can fear-monger people and push a political objective and agenda. And it wasn't true. It was a gay guy who killed another gay guy. And as we showed on the show, out of the 18, 16 were bullshit domestic violence. This guy is one of the many that they say it's a heterosexual killer. Well, if we're doing that then why don't we do it for every time a white person gets killed by a person of color or a Latino or whatever and say, well, it's race-based? Because we don't. In our society, in the liberal society that we live in, with a liberal media, if a white person kills a black person, it's race-based. If a man kills a woman, it's sex-based. If a gay person gets killed by anybody on the planet, oh, that's trans-homophobia. And it goes back to what I say. You can't have it both ways. You cannot just make this shit up. And that's what they do. We'll move it along. ACLU celebrates International Men's Day. Men who get their periods are men. Here's their tweet. There's no one way to be a man. Men who get their periods are men. Men who get pregnant and give birth are men. Trans and non-binary men belong. And once again, I don't know what biology kit you're doing. The next one. Equal participation in athletics for transgender people does not mean an end to women's sports. Trans women are women, including women and girls who are transgender, advancing women's equality and well-being. When transgender people are excluded from participation on teams that align with their gender identity, the result is often that they are excluded from participating altogether. 22 Women's Rights and Gender Justice Organization, trans people belong. No, they don't. Chop it. Take the opposing hormones for a long period. Then I say you're right. But if you're still walking around with cock and balls. And you're saying you're a woman. I'm here to tell you. You're not. L Illuminate. L Magazine gushes over women of progress. AOC, Rapineau, and Thunberg. Every time there's an article about women, that's all you see. Planned Parenthood has an announcement to make, and they're making it in all caps just to really drive it home. 
How can you be a serious organization that we give 550 fucking million to and you make a bunny on a tweet out of letters? Really? This is like something a kid does. Abortion is moral. It is important. It is health care. Health care? Yeah, it's health care. The baby's going to kill the mother. But if it's just because I don't feel like using birth control, no, it's not. I have a very long soundbite for anti-abortion. Two people speaking about abortion, but I played those on the show before. We're really long today. I'm not going to. But I will play a Rachel Maddow soundbite. It's going to be a butted and kind of long because it's mixed up different things. But she's basically forwarding what we saw last election cycle and what will be the future of the Republican or the Democratic Party. If you're not pro-kill a baby until it's in college, you don't belong in the DNC. Just this weekend, Louisiana re-elected a Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards. He has signed one of the country's toughest laws restricting abortion. Is there room in the Democratic Party for someone like him? Someone who can win in a deep red state, but who does not support abortion rights? Senator Warren. Senator Warren. Push you on this a little bit for a specific answer to the question. Governor John Bell Edwards in Louisiana is an anti-abortion governor who has signed abortion restrictions in Louisiana. Is there room for him in the Democratic Party with those politics? Many states, including right here where we are tonight in Georgia, have passed laws that severely limit or outright ban abortion. Right now, Roe versus Wade protects a woman's right to abortion nationwide. But if Roe gets overturned and abortion access disappears in some states... Would you intervene as president to try to bring that access back, Senator Klobuchar? Just this weekend, Louisiana re-elected a Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards. He has signed one of the country's toughest laws restricting abortion. Is there room in the Democratic Party for someone like him? Someone who can win in a deep red state, but who does not support abortion rights? Senator Warren. Look. I believe that abortion rights are human rights. I believe that they are also economic rights. And protecting the right of a woman to be able to make decisions about her own body is fundamentally what we do and what we stand for as a Democratic Party. Understand this. When someone makes abortion illegal in America, rich women will still get abortions. It's just going to fall hard on poor women. It's going to fall hard on girls, women who don't even know that they're pregnant because they have been molested by an uncle. I want to be in America where everybody has a chance. And I know it can be a hard decision for people, but here's the thing. When it comes down to that decision, a woman should be able to call on her mother. She should be able to call on her partner. She should be able to call on her priest or her rabbi. But the one entity that should not be in the middle of that decision is the government. Senator Warren, I need to on this a little bit for a specific answer to the question. Governor John Bell Edwards in Louisiana is an anti-abortion governor who has signed abortion restrictions in Louisiana. Is there room for him in the Democratic Look, Party with those politics? I have made clear what I think the Democratic Party stands for. I'm not here to try to drive anyone out of this party. I'm not here to try to build fences. But I am here to say this is what I will fight for as President of the United States. The women of America can count. Senator Warren, thank you. Senator Sanders, I'll give you 30 seconds. Only with a super biased liberal media can a party's platform be abort babies in this day and age. I mean, really think about it as a human, not as 
a part, you know, take, once again, take your hats off, whatever party you belong to, don't belong to. That's insane. But that's their platform. Kill babies. I mean, everything comes down to that. Had a soundbite to move us on into uh, climate change, but I'm not going to play it. Coldplay announces they're no longer touring because of climate change and shit. Wes Siller, because of climate crisis, I had a colleague's brother sterilize me. Any other action we could take, even all the actions we could ever possibly add up together, pale in comparison. That's because there are simply too many humans on this planet. We've all been told that driving electric cars or putting solar panels on a roof will help, but that involves buying more stuff, which is a terrible impact on the environment, no matter how green the image. Two people decide to make fewer humans and eliminate the entire cycle of consumption that would fuel that kid's life. The idea that there are too many humans on the planet certainly isn't new. Thomas Maidas was freaked out over population in the 18th century. It would be fun to bring him back during a seance and tell him China alone is home to more than 1 billion people. Anyway, we won't argue with anyone who chooses not to have children for whatever reason, especially climate hysteria, a poster says. Tom Sire says, Day one, I will use my presidential powers and the first thing he'll address is climate change. That's the first thing. Yeah. I I just can't believe you literally go and sterilize yourself. To social media, violence, Google lists Trump Cruz Trump Jr. as punchable faces. In the era of civility, Google search algorithms are doing their part in keeping peace. Google Images, the section of Google Search where your users can look for images, suggest imaging with any phrase or word type in a box. With query, punchable face, several images crop up immediately. These include all Republicans. Numerically, out of the first 100 results, 27% of the images were linked to prominent Republicans or conservatives. None were linked to prominent Democrats or liberals. 27% were linked to actors and celebrities, while 46% of the images were miscellaneous drawings or cartoons. A subcategory of punchable face was on this list was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Google Director of Engineer Kathy Edwards wrote in 2018 that the company had made a number of updates to our most immersive experiences for searching visual contact, Google Images. These changes are aimed at helping people find information visually and make it easier to pursue the things people come to Google Images for help with. While some of the images were attached to links from news sites that probably boost the image SEO, others were from unknown sites and social media posts were simply titled, Most Punchable Faces. The first image, a mashup of Joel Olstein, Donald Trump Jr., and Trump Senior Advisor Stephen Miller, was from 2017 story published at Raw Story headline, Here are 11 of the Most Punchable Faces. The shopping tab also included t-shirts with Ted Cruz face on them on the shirt most punchable face in America but remember Trump and his minions are violent those are violent people they're fascists 
Their brown shirts are roaming the streets killing gays. But Google allows that. I mean, just oppose that just for a second with Ben Shapiro's A Gateway to White Supremacy. And now we're censoring YouTube. Really? Really? Yeah. Sad crime. Not crazy this week. Mother kills three infant sons. And once again, this title would be totally different if it was religious. If it was because President Obama got elected. If it was because they're afraid they're going to become gay. This title would totally ring differently. I'm just, I'm here to tell you right now. Mother kills three infant sons after worrying they grow up to abuse women. She got 37 years in prison for this. Brittany Renee Plinkerton was sentenced to 37 years in prison for killing her three infant sons. Plinkerton, 27, poorly killed the children because she feared they would grow up to abuse women. According to the Daily Mail, Plinkerton was impregnated by her mother's 47-year-old boyfriend when she was 17. The two later married. He pled guilty to misdemeanor sex charge in 2016, which stemmed from his relationship with Plinkton that took place when she was underage. Plinkton pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter and murder charges on Tuesday after she suffocated her three sons aged three months to four years in July 2014, April 2015, and August 2015, respectively, over a 13-month period. She told authorities that she feared the boys would grow up to abuse women. Her lawyers insisted that she is brain damaged and has been abused both physically and sexually throughout her life. Court Gatterdam, one of Plinkerton's attorneys, said that his clients suffered from lead poisoning. I didn't know the paint chip defense was actually a defense. A doctor examined confirmed Plinkton's brain damage. Sadly, she's safer living a better life in jail than outside. Where did she get that information? I mean, I'm not going to be like a liberal and link it directly to this is the left's fault. But we talk about this stuff. They talk about it all the time. Trump's words could get people that are mentally challenge to go do violent things and here's a direct article of a lady killing her kids because she's afraid of the violence against women which everything is portrayed to be violence against women the, the electoral college is sexist this is a crazy crime don't RIP me off relatives bring family corpse into insurance firm office after company demand they prove he was dead a grieving woman said insurance firm refused to pay out the policy of the dead relative. She took the corpse in a branch after firm said they need more proof man was dead. Pair were especially upset because delay meant tribal rights were not performed. Old Mutual has since apologized and said the claim was paid in full the same day. Good God. Talk about, that's, that's sad. That's fucked up. Space travel barrier removed as docks freeze and revive human for the first time. Nowhere in the article does it say who was the guinea pig, but that is fucking amazing. Just fucking amazing. Sickening survey. Smartphones covered in bacteria 
Yet one in four never clean theirs. And further in the article, they're dirtier than bathrooms. That's scary. And last but not least, before we go into a lighter fare. Hero, NFL star J.J. Watts will use profits from his Reebok shoe line to fund honor flights for veterans. And that, my friends, is fucking awesome. I heard about it from the Daily Wire, not ESPN. To our lighter fare. I was going to save this for a Thanksgiving podcast. I'm thinking about doing one on Tuesday or Wednesday. But I decided to do a show of what I'm thankful for. No politics. What I'm thankful for, from TV to sports to my Liga Privada number nine. I'm actually going to do a review on it and smoke another one because they're delicious. Plus, they're getting old. They're in the basement. They say, you know... It's like a humidor down here. It's really nice. So I decided I'm going to do it today. Drink, drink a lot. A conservative's guide to surviving Thanksgiving dinner. Every year we're inundated with perpetually smug Thanksgiving dinner survival guides from overly sensitive safe space needling progressives from the left wing rags who think they're being clever inevitably there's always some crazy redneck uncle in a tinfoil hat wearing flannel over his no fat chicks t-shirt who's armed with several giant guns and who just so happens to be a trump supporter at the dinner table okay maybe the t-shirts say something like save the whales harpoon a fat chick but you get the gist the uncle is always some horrible racist sexist bigot who chews and makes his moral sensitive nephews cry, and that's why they need a survival guide. Yeah, it's stupid. So very, very stupid. But on that note, I start thinking about survival Thanksgiving with annoying green penis liberals at the dinner table. And you know what? We don't have nearly enough survival guides for that. So I present you with a conservative's guide to surviving Thanksgiving dinner. Cheers. First of all, I can't credit this to anybody because it is part of Twitchy's um, VIP that I signed up for. Seven bucks a month for you peoples. I'm signing up for the VIP because they do have interesting stuff. But I thought it was really good. So whoever wrote this, you rock. To their list. One, drink. Drink heavily. Drink a lot. Start drinking early. Two, if you carry... Be sure at some point to take your unloaded weapon out and clean it at the dinner table. Hey, if these morons think you're a crazy redneck anyway, you might as well have a little fun with them. (laughs) Three, eat meat, lots of meat. In fact, put meat on top of your meat and then ask for some extra meat to eat on the side. And then, when you think you've eaten all the meat you can, eat more meat. Four, come prepared with at least a dozen really good Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Camilla Harris, etc. jokes to tell them during dessert. Five, remind them how much more you pay for health insurance under Obamacare at least three times. Six, pray before dinner, and you know that? What? Pray before dessert, too. And make sure to mention God and Jesus a lot. Seven, use a traditional pronoun like he and she only, and make sure to put an emphasis on said pronouns in each and every conversation. Eight, carry a small bottle of air freshener with you. 
You know, you never know how long it's been since your niece or nephew or who believes we are literally killing the planet by using too much water have taken a shower. That is so true. They smell like patchouli oil. Nine, when your liberal brother-in-law who quit his job because he didn't want to keep funding the American capitalist war machine starts complaining about the fundamental problems with the Constitution, be prepared with a few various hand gestures. These include, one, playing the world's smallest violin, two, blah, 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 open and close, three, obligatory jerk-off motion, four, subtle middle finger, which may take some practice. Ten, last of all, and most importantly, keep your sense of humor and stay out of jail. All of this being said, probably the reason we don't see more survival guides for conservatives during the holiday is that we're not all a bunch of whiners who throw tamper tantrums and cry when people disagree with us. Because you know... We're adults. Happy Thanksgiving. You know, I've only once spoken out at Thanksgiving. And that was the transgender Christmas parade. Where I did say some things. Yeah. It it pissed me off. A lot. But it's a time of thanks. So, in that tradition, we'll go with uh, a Wednesday podcast. A short one on things that I'm thankful for. And that's all we're going to do. No politics. Because unlike these children who get pissed off when they lose elections, we're adults. And there are days that you can put down your political partisanship and just share some time with family and friends. There it is. All right, this is America. Pelosi, GOP Talking Points. And a whole montage of dim talking points. This is version one. I have a second soundbite. I'm going to play also. Because it was hard this week to play the worst thing I heard all week. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. I mean, this has been a phenomenal case, Chris, really. Uh, I think that if this were something that we were asking a jury to decide guilty or not, which we're not doing yet, obviously, they would come back in a heartbeat with a guilty verdict. Because if you look at all of the evidence, all of the testimony of the witnesses, and the phone call with the president himself in his own words saying, I need a favor, though, if you put all of it together and you take politics out of it and look at it as a rational person, which is something prosecutors ask jurors all the time. And, and that was the capstone for the Democrats over two weeks. They put her last, and, and she really tied it all together. Uh, I mean, it, it's remarkable to hear from all these officials. Their epiphanies came at different times, but it came eventually. But ultimately, you have two weeks of testimony, 12 witnesses, and everything points in the same direction. And yet, if you watch that hearing and you, you listen to Adam Schiff at the end of it, the frustration he was expressing, it's understandable because he had heard the Republicans on that committee ignore the testimony for the most part, not question the substance of it, and just act as yes. if the whole thing is a joke. And so that we're just living in different worlds. I think Mimi's right. If you could you know, not check your reason at the door 
as you go in and analyze this, uh, yeah, maybe you would get an unbiased jury, but it's politics. Legal rights of the whistleblower uh, should prevail in this political setting over those of President Trump who should ordinarily enjoy a right to confront his accuser. Well, let me just say this. I'd say to you, Mr. Republican Talking Points, what I said to the President of the United States. When you talk about the whistleblower, you're coming into my wheelhouse. I have more experience and intelligence than anybody in the Congress. Anybody's ever served. 25 years on the committee as top Democrat, ex-officio, a speaker, and leader. I was there when we wrote the whistleblower law. The whistleblower uh, is there to speak truth to power and have protection from doing that. And any, any retribution or harm coming to a whistleblower undermines our ability to hear truth about power. So I will defend the rights of the whistleblower vehemently. But why should they prevail over the president? Well, the president can come. If he has a case to make, does he want to come speak? Does he want to uh, present in writing or speak to the the committee about his, uh, what might be uh, uh, exculpatory for him? He has that right to do. But nobody, nobody, president, president is not above the law. President will be held accountable. And nobody should have the right uh, uh, to endanger whistleblowers. And that is the system that I will defend. And the American people, the American people understand that. They're not really arguing. They just say like, they just say, they just say like Benghazi. Right. And it just has, it's just like, it's like in, you know, Manchurian Canada, just show the right, right. Call, you know, the right, right uh, playing card. How much investigation did we do on Benghazi? Fast and furious. <laughs> and what were the outcomes? But what it did was it, it set in motion a narrative that they could always come back to. A buzzword. A buzzword. And so here we are again. We watched a pathetic performance. Too, so pathetic that at the end they couldn't even ask questions. Because they knew the moment they did, she would shred them alive on live television. But I think the final moment of today's hearing sort of clarified for me where, to your point, Eli, where the Republicans are. I listened to Will Hurd. Will Hurd, basically, the Texas, uh, the Texas congressman who's retiring from Congress, who was always considered sort of, you know, a maverick because he was somewhat independent uh, in his republicanism, uh, today landed right on the front porch of Donald Trump and, and pretty much said, eh, there's nothing here. I don't mm -hmm. see any reason to vote for impeachment. So that sends a signal to the Senate. There is no movement among Republicans. They did they didn't have much to play with. They're sitting with their poker hand with like an eight in it. I mean, that's all. They <laughs> and they're looking at a high eight. I mean, they don't have anything. And then, so they dick her, dicking around, basically. Nancy Pelosi saying Mr. Republican talking points. That's how they act. It's just like the Biden soundbite. Whenever they're actually challenged with a question that would be normal questions for Republicans. I mean, that's just how it would be played for Republicans. That's their reaction. Oh, my God, you're a Republican puppet. Oh, really? Oh, really? Because that's all Republicans face. When Mitch McConnell gets questioned, it is straight up fucking horrible. It's just horrible. They are costed with Democratic talking points for everything. I mean, it's just not a few things. It's everything. It's constant. It's relentless. So, yeah. That was version one. Version two was this.
The economy may be strong, but more and more people don't have health insurance. The Census Bureau reports the proportion of Americans without coverage went up in 2018 for the first time in a decade when the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare kicked in. The agency says the increase appears to be the result of a decline in coverage under public health programs. If you follow their tweet, that's where you find that little blip of a soundbite. It wasn't on TV, and their tweet is this. In 2008, middle-class workers spent about 7.8% of household income on premiums and deductibles. By 2018, that figure has climbed 11.5%. When you dig into the article, it's an incomplete article about a woman who had breast cancer and then financial problems and now is sucking buttermilk. Just like, sadly, my big sis in Colorado is dealing with. A medical emergency in the middle of a financial crisis and then financial problems on the other side i don't want to for a second play down that's horrible but that's how they played it and then deep in the article they state now there's a huge increase of up to two million more americans who aren't going to have health care due to the removal of the aca requirement and penalty on your taxes Nowhere in that article do they say the reason why it has jumped 5% is because of the ACA. Nowhere in that article do they say the ACA ended up screwing the very people it was supposed to help, middle-class Americans. Nowhere in there do they say that it ruined everybody's policies, nobody got to keep their doctor, and the whole fucking ACA wasn't even affordable for anybody other than really, really, really poor people who already had Medicaid at state level. And I just thought, wow, it took you fucking 11 years to figure out people are paying a lot of money. The very premise of Obamacare was that everybody was going to save money. It was what America needed. And we all know, if you paid any attention, did any of the research, it was done because they wanted single pair. Which, if a Democrat gets elected, they're going to try to do. And people like me who pay my premiums, we're fucked. My military care will go in the shit can. They will get what Obama wanted but didn't do. And push us all on some socialist medical program. That I'll pay three times the amount that I pay right now. Guarantee it. And I just thought it was a perfect soundbite for the worst thing in the fucking week. As we talk about all the bias, the partisanship, the way we're going through all these little smoking gun bullshit. Everything is Democrat. Prepping debates with Democratic causes. Our media just will not acknowledge that Obama. Obama had more people deported. Obama had more kids in cages. They retract those stories. Obama had plenty of scandals that you called nothing. And every scandal you've thrown up against Trump is just nothing. It's a nothing burger. And I, once again, don't say that as a Trump supporter. Because I'm not. If you did your job, media... Americans would get the benefit of the First Amendment, be well more knowledgeable, and you know what? The partisan divide that we have in our country probably wouldn't be as bad as it is.
Mind you, there'd still be Democrats and Republicans throwing barbs at each other all the time. But it'd be a different landscape. It just would be a different landscape. But you continue to just do one party's bidding, and here we are. A fractured, fucked up country where both sides of the political divide, and sadly the people in the middle, never know the truth. You only know talking points. And that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. And send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. podcast at gmail.com. Really love some emails. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember, check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. As stated, our next podcast will be Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. That is the 27th of November, year of our Lord, 2019. And it'll just be a Thanksgiving podcast. No politics. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. If you're traveling, be safe this week. There's not a lot of bad weather, but it'll be some wet weather here and there. Get to your loved ones home safely. Enjoy them. Don't spend your time on your phone, on CNN, MSNBC, Fox. Doesn't matter. It should be family time. Family. It's about family and friends. So do that. Not social media, not social causes, and I'm sure the podcast after Thanksgiving, I'll have a bunch of uh, fuck your uncle and all that bullshit. We'll cover that on the backside. As always, my friends, thank you for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at Fop Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. I'm the sun and the earth On the shyness that is criminally broken I'm sun and earth But nothing in particular